Right, let's try this. That's better. That's how it's supposed to work. Good morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm back after my day off. A big thank you to Justin Dealey for filling in and doing sterling work. If some of your comments are to be believed, he was better than me. I don't think so. He's good. Well, maybe he was a little bit. Anyway, lots coming up on the show this morning, including She's Not a Celebrity. Get her out of there. MP Nadine Doris has been booted out of the jungle. Will you be welcoming her back to Mid-Bedfordshire? Families in Hertfordshire paid to host someone with a mental health problem. Would 600 quid a week be enough of an incentive for you to do the same? And Justice Secretary Chris Grayling is expected to make an announcement about whether prisoners should get the vote. Should some prisoners be able to vote? All that and more. Get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or the best way is, of course, to give us a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Can I just say, by the way, there was a vicious rumour started by someone on Twitter yesterday who, uh, I was away uh, having things done, bits and pieces, and a friend tweeted, good luck with the hair transplant, Ian, on Twitter. And I replied, thanks, mate. Suddenly, you have to be so careful what you say on Twitter, suddenly, that becomes fact. To the point where um, one of our senior reporters, I've literally just put the word senior in the meaning old, uh, Tony Fisher, here at Three Counties Radio, you, you've heard him, he's the one with the serious voice. Um, asked a member of the team if it was true I was getting a hair transplant. He's a journalist working at the BBC. You wonder how we missed the Savile thing, huh? Uh, and then um, uh, on Twitter, the, uh, the editor of Men's Health magazine sent me a message saying, Ian, would you like to write an, ar- write an article for us about hair transplants? <laughs> I said, yes, it was 500 quid. I don't care. I'll take the money. So I'm not having a hair transplant. I've got thick, luscious locks. These bad boys, they're going grey, but they ain't going nowhere. Now, did you watch I'm a Celebrity last night? Well, this happened. The public have decided the first person they want to leave I'm a Celebrity 2012 is... Nadine. Told you! See goodbyes, and we'll see you across the bridge in just a couple of minutes. Have a good day, everybody. Doesn't it annoy you when the people get voted, celebrities get voted out of this... I, I told you it would be me. I, of course you're going to say it to you because you're covering your bases. You're hoping it's not. Well, Nadine Doris, MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, was the first, in inverted commas, celeb to be voted out of the jungle. This is what she's been up to while she's been away from her constituency. I didn't make it. That's what life looks like, yeah. Ostrich anus. That makes you stronger. Oh, oh, no. I only realised coming in here that I stopped laughing the day I became a politician. Come on, love. Pull yourself together. That in itself was a bit of a shock. Do you feel nervous about going home? What, after eating spiders? I think that I've learned to be myself again. I think it's changed my life. This has happened. Well, while she was in the jungle, this is what Nick Clegg had to say. Of course it's unwise. Look, we're all elected to do a job for our constituents. We all are. Whatever party... Uh, we come from, and that's what people quite rightly expect um, of us, and it's no wonder that um, uh, people have, uh, uh, have been as um, unhappy as they have at the decision uh, from uh, one member in this house to, uh, to uh, eat insects in the jungle instead. 
On the plus side, though, she has learned something. We MPs complain all the time that more people vote on X Factor final. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Mm. And that I'm a celebrity, get me out of yeah. here, than they do in the general election. And that's your motivation for doing the show? But absolutely. People need to get... We, MPs and anybody in public life needs to go where people are going to understand why. And that's one thing I've taken from here. I completely understand why people... Why more people watch I'm a Celebrity than vote during the general election? Mm. Well, did, did it work? Of course it didn't work. If that was her, her uh, idea, was to go and spread the word of politics and get the kids interested in... Po- well, in my opinion, it didn't work. Do you think it did? That, that, that people, more people are now interested in politics after seeing her on that? Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, will be at Amp Hill later this morning, if you'd like to have your say. And in the meantime, you can give me a call or send me a text. Will you be welcoming Nadine Doris back... To Mid Bedfordshire, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can text as well, eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR. Will you be welcoming her back to Mid Beds? Are you not that bothered, really? I like that song, but the bit where she says, "I say to thee," that makes me uncomfortable for some reason. Why would you start speaking old Shakespearean language? Because you're in love, Diana. That's just a ridiculous thing to do, is it? On the subject of the and thee. It's differently, obviously. This one's got, that one in her songs got two E's. But I only found out at the weekend there are rules as to when you say the and the. There's a rule. There's a grammatical rule. No, there is. I know. And I had this argument with my wife because she was teaching it to my boy. I said, well, don't listen to her. That's nonsense. And then she um, trumped me by Googling it. And it is true. I can't remember what the rule is. Could someone phone in 08459 455 555? I know, more important things to talk about, but this is going to drive me mad. What's the rule for when you say the and when you say the? So the book, the book. There's a rule. And I can't remember what it is. One of all, one of you will know. And it's odd that my wife knew that because she doesn't know things. I don't know. Let me rephrase that without being rude. Um, no, I can't. She doesn't know things. She doesn't, because her mum's Greek, so she was brought up not knowing a lot of English things, even though she is English. Like, she doesn't know sayings. She doesn't know too many cooks spoil the broth or a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. She doesn't know those things. Right? So you'll, you'll say, a bird in the hand, finish the sentence, and she'll go, it's like a car. She doesn't know. But she knows the rule for the and the, and now I can't remember it. I'm getting blank looks from my production team, which is, is kind of what I tend to get from them anyway. So 08459 double five. There's no prize. We're prize. We're going to say it'd be a ridiculous thing to do. But could you just call in the rules for when you say the and when you say the? It exists. Do call in, otherwise I'm going to look like an idiot. It's not really set the phones alight, is it? You never know. They'll, they'll, they're, they're, just, they're just checking that they know. 08459 555. While you're rushing to the telephones to explain that and win yourself five points and a gold star, let's have a quick look at the front pages, shall we? The Independent. Uh, floods and schools face cuts to pay for £1 billion acad- academies overspend. Uh, the Guardian. Um, Gaza ceasefire ends a week of bloodshed. And there's Kate Winslet wearing uh, a dead pigeon on her head. She's been awarded a CBE for services to acting. So, for doing her job and getting paid millions of pounds to do her job. I like Kate Winslet. I think she's good, but CBE material? Really? Um, the Times, Anglicans told to seek help from mediators. I go away from one day, Church of England, and you really... You mess everything up. Anger mounts over rejection of women bishops. And there's a picture of the uh, Duchess of Cambridge in the jungle. Looking a bit too thin for my liking. Let's have a look at the Telegraph. Amnesty for 120,000 migrants and floods. 
the Daily Express. Floods and diet that will add years to your life. Eating a low-calorie diet could be the key to a long life, according to new research. The Daily Mail, secret courts plan in chaos. Plans for secret courts were left in tatters last night by the House of Lords. Uh, and the Dean Doris coming out of the jungle. The Sun stabbed in die back at 4am. It's a football story. So something has happened in the world of football. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. So, can someone please call in? Otherwise, I'm going to look like an idiot and explain the rule for the and the. There's a rule. I've seen it on the internet. It must be true. Seriously, I'm going to keep banging on about this until someone calls in. The or the. There's a rule. There's like a grammatical rule. I was surprised as anyone to find out. Maybe my wife is the only person that knows it. I can't remember what it is. One of you boffins will know it. 08459 455 555. Now, on to slightly more serious matters. The Justice Secretary, Chris Grayling, is expected to make an announcement about whether prisoners should get the vote. There's a chance the current situation where prisoners don't have a vote will remain. There is also the possibility that some prisoners could keep their right to vote while they're detained. At the moment, only, on tho- only those on remand can vote, and Europe says that's unlawful. So, should some prisoners be given the right to vote, or should the loss of liberty automatically mean the loss of voting rights? You can give us a call and let us know your thoughts on this. 08459 455 555. Justin Dealey has been out and about getting your views. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. It's such an interesting talking point, this one. I've been to Bovington and Hertfordshire. Now, the reason I've been there is because they have the Mount Prism. That's situated on the outskirts of the village. I've been talking to Carl and David. They totally are against the idea, and to be fair, like everyone I spoke to yesterday. But I did put the point to Carl that, that prisoners having the right to vote, it may help with their rehabilitation, but he totally disagreed. Take a listen to this. No, because when they come out, they're going to do it again. Most of them re-offend, so they should come out, then vote. And if they get put back in, it's their own problem. But, but you're quite angry about this, aren't you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so I, I just don't think prisoners should be allowed to do anything, basically. It's our tax money. It pays for them in there. So why should they get to do anything? So you think make it as tough as possible. Take the TVs off them. Don't even think about giving them the right to vote. Make it really, really tough so when they do come out, they'll never want to go back there again. Yeah, let's make it hard for them inside. Not easy. So, you know, I'd, I'd go to prison. You know, someone said TV, three meals a day, Christy life. You know. You make it sound so easy. Well, it is. You know, they, they do a petty crime, get banged up for six months, and they live better than what we do. An absolute no as far as you're concerned. David, just briefly a word with yourself. Uh, What's your views on this prisoners and the right to vote? How do you see this? I don't think it's right either. Um, They shouldn't be voting for what essentially affects the people outside of prison. They can vote for their own things in prison. I don't care there, but they shouldn't be affecting the rest of the county that they happen to be in jail in. Mm, so the votes there of Carl and uh, well, the views there of, of Carl and David yesterday in Bobbington talking about this. I think the bigger question for me, Ian, is mm. if prisoners were given the right to vote, if that was to happen, well, would they vote anyway? I mean, are they all in prison this morning laughing about the fact we're talking about this this morning? It's just such a, a fascinating talking point. How would this work? It's um, so much to talk about, clearly. There is, Justin. Thank you for... Uh, Justin, by the way, thanks very much for yesterday. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't know if pe- people on Facebook were saying you're better than no, me. they don't... did not say that. They did not say they, that. They did no, say it, and it's didn't... been... I've deleted it, don't worry. But thank you very much. Cheers, yeah, Justin. Uh, <laughs> see, <laughs> it's not a hair transplant. Uh, oh, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. What do you think? Should prisoners be given the vote? Some prisoners? Or once you're in prison, is that it? You lose all your rights. 
Well, Dr. Kia Murphy is a lecturer in law at King's College. He joins me now. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Britain has, uh, for seven years, been battling a European ruling requiring it to lift its its uh, rule on uh, ban on prisoners voting, which I think has been in place for about 140 years. Why has this been going on for so long? Well, it's been going on for so long because neither this government nor the Labour government before it actually wants to comply with the court's judgment. So the governments have been dragging their feet and trying to avoid it. How likely is it that prisoners will get the vote? I think it's difficult to say. In law, they have to, but the government seems very much opposed, and obviously for the prisoners to get the vote, the government would have to take some action. It would have to introduce legislation into Parliament and steer that legislation through Parliament. So it really depends on how much the Prime Minister and his government is willing to play chicken with the European Court of Human Rights on this. So you say by law they, they have to have the vote. That's European law, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's, it's international law, really. Right. It's the European Convention on Human Rights. And what could happen to the government if they keep refusing to, to change legislation in this country, keep breaking the law effectively? Well, at the moment, I understand there are 2,500 cases pending before the European Court of Human Rights, which involve prisoners seeking the right to vote. Now, those cases are frozen at the moment, but if the British government and parliament were not to act, then the court might unfreeze those. And it's possible that prisoners could be given compensation by the court in compensation for the government's failure to give them the right to vote. So there's a financial consequence, as well as the diplomatic consequence of losing face amongst European allies. And in terms of financial compensation, what kind of figures could we be looking at in monetary terms? Well, the figures in individual cases might be negligible. The, the court gives varying figures and damages because obviously a breach of human rights can rarely actually be remedied by money. But if you add it all up, it could amount to millions. Dr. Kim Murphy, thank you very much indeed. A lecturer in law at King's College. What do you think? There you go. You heard the doctor. Legally, international law dictates that the prisoners should have the vote. What do you think? Justin was talking to a couple of people there who, uh, who, who didn't like it, and he said that everyone he spoke to yesterday was against it. 08459 455 555. Do you think that prisoners, some prisoners, should be given the vote? Or are you kind of of the, the school of thought that once you're in prison, that's it. You've committed a crime. You've excluded yourself from society and the benefits and responsibilities that you get from being in society. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can send me a text as well, 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, or you can uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR, uh, and let us have your say. Uh, now, don't, oh, tomorrow we have a very, very exciting show on. Very exciting show. Well, I say exciting, I'm guessing it's going to be cold, because we, I, I would imagine that at some point tomorrow I'm going to be stood out in the street. But it's not just any old street. It's going to be in Flampstead. Yes, we're doing a Flampstead special. Not just a Flampstead special, but that's where we're going to be coming from. From 6am, we're going to be celebrating community businesses. We'll be at the coffee... Oh, hang on a minute. We're going to be in, like, a cafe place, aren't we? They do coffee, do they? Fantastic. Well, t- tomorrow's show might suddenly have a, a golden glow about it. We're going to be uh, at the Coffee Dog in the Spotted Dog, and you can come along and join us. We're going to be there from 6 o'clock uh, till 9 o'clock, of course, um, and you can uh, come and have a look and come and say hello. Don't touch me. That's the only rule I have. Please don't touch me. Come and say hello and wave. Don't touch me. I, I'm a bit funny about that. Uh, if you want to find out exactly where we're going to be and um, how you can get involved, go to the Facebook page. 
facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. We're going to put the details up there in a little while. Uh, and also follow us on Twitter at BBC 3CR or at Ian Lee and we'll be tweeting the details. And it will be lovely if you want to come down, say hello um, and just have a look at us as we sit with silly headphones trying to do a ridiculous job. Because that's basically what we do. But uh, Flamsteads, I'm coming to get you. They say that on online. Maybe they say that on, they say on some programme anyway, don't they? 08459 455 555. The two important topics of the day are uh, prisoners having the votes. Do you think they should? But also, and I think this is kind of more important because it's going to drive my OCD head nuts. There, honestly, there is a rule about when you use the word the and when you use the word di- the, like the book, the end. But I don't know what the rule is. Can someone please put me out of my misery? 08459 455 555. What's the grammatical rule for the and the? Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Sophie, before you go, she's gone. Yes. Oh, you're, the, you're yes. there. Do you know the rule about when you use the word the and when you use the word the? I wasn't even aware there was no. One. Nor was I. This is my language, and I didn't know this rule until the weekend. Okay, Sophie, thank you very much. We will, we will find out what it is before nine o'clock. Otherwise, he's going to drive me mad. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next half an hour, find out why parents in Hertfordshire have been campaigning for five years to have double yellow lines outside the school. And if you're driving on the M1, you'll still be able to see the huge fire near Junction uh, 8 and 9. It's been burning for 12 days. Our reporter Justin Daly will be there to find out why. Now, an initiative in Hertfordshire where families are paid £600 a week to have someone with mental health problems living in their homes has been given a national award. The Hertfordshire Partnership Foundation Trust created the new Host Families programme to allow people to recover in a family environment rather than a clinical unit. The guest stays anywhere from two weeks to two months and the idea is that the family environment aids recovery. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, has been to meet Mary Mitchell from Stevenage, who is a host herself. Victoria asked her what her job actually involved. I think the most that I have to do is friendship and companionship and just give them that little bit of motivation to want to do things for themselves that they're quite capable of doing, but because they've been either on the ward or or somewhere else, they haven't had to do all that for themselves they haven't had to go out and do their own shopping. They haven't had to change their own beds. And that's all something that I feel when they leave here, if they do, they're capable then of looking after themselves. The NHS will reimburse you around £600 a week for having a guest in your house. What's the money used for? The money is used for, obviously, extra gas, electricity. And I do always ask each guest that comes to me their preference in foods. And if it's something that I would not normally buy, I would endeavour to accommodate their needs. I've never actually worked it out sort of pound for pound. And although it sounds a lot of money, you don't make a lot out of it because you do try and make that person as comfortable as they can be. I guess part of the money goes towards the fact that this is an inconvenience to your life as well. It's, well in fact, it's life-changing. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, yes. You know, I, I can't just suddenly decide to go away for the weekend or something if I know that I have a service user in my home. The people that come and stay with you, how do they find it? What do they say to you? A lot of them have said to me that it's been a big help to their progress in being in a normal family environment. 
because the alternative would be to be in a, a unit where perhaps you're surrounded by other people that are also suffering from mental health problems so to just be here with your family that's a very unique way of recovering isn't it yes yeah all the, all the people that I've had so far have all, as far as I'm concerned, been success stories where they, they've left my home and they have moved on with their life. That is my bonus for the end of the job. If someone comes into my house and they look fairly sombre, when they leave my home, if they have a smile on their face... I feel as though I've achieved something and, and helped in some way. Mary Mitchell, they're talking to our reporter, Victoria Cook. Well, John Lavelle is the service manager for the uh, Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, which runs the scheme. Morning, John. Morning, Ian. Explain a bit more about how this works. Well, it's quite simply, um, we would um, work with the host families and with people who are in, um, in a period of mental Ill health to see if we can identify a good match between the host family and the... Um, the patient or the service user um, and if, if we find uh, find a good match and both are willing to kind of take this, this kind of part of the scheme forward we would um, work with the host family and, and the patient to, to kind of introduce them and um, uh, kind of have a look to see what, what, if their needs can be met within, within the host family and um, providing that, that is, everybody's happy with that both the host family and the guest are happy with that the, the guest would then move into the host's family's home and um, would, would spend a period of time with them and as Mary suggested uh, you know a lot of it is around friendship and companionship and just support you could normally get in your day-to-day family life that perhaps some of the guests wouldn't ordinarily get especially um, if they were admitted to a, um, a hospital unit. What kind of mental health problems are we talking about here John? Uh, it's a variety of mental health problems I mean men- they cover a wide range wide scale of, of kind of problems um, so it could be somebody who, who was de- who's depressed um, it could be somebody who um, it may be suffering from schizophrenia. There's a whole range of, of, um, of m- mental health problems. And are there any risks for the hosts at all? Uh, um, I mean, the hosts uh, would work very closely with the um, uh, home treatment teams that um, we have I- across the county, and all the risks would be, um, any risk would be assessed, and that the, um, the crisis teams, the home treatment teams would, would take that into consideration prior to placing um, a, a guest with a host family. And do the host family get any, any training or, or anything like that? Uh, the guests, the host families would have an induction so there would be something around um, understanding about mental, mental ill health, um, how it can manifest itself, what would, you know, what people would um, experience when they're having um, a period of mental ill health and certainly we have had um, previous guests would come and talk to host families about their experience about their own mental health but i think it's quite key that actually the the host families are supported um 24 hours uh, seven days a week by home treatment teams so they're the professionals john are the hosts vetted because we have heard stories in the news about um people with various mental health problems being uh, um used and abused they can be quite yeah. vulnerable can't they yeah absolutely and yes absolutely the host families are vetted um to a to a large degree the same as i would be working with with um the people within the, the units that I would manage. Um, there's a, a very long and rigorous recruitment process, which would include um, host families and people living in the house with the hosts, um, having CRB checks, etc. And there's an interview process. So everything is is done to ensure that both the host family and the guests are, are absolutely safeguarded. Six hundred quid a week, John. That some people go. That's a lot of money, isn't it? I think it's 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 um, the right money for for the 
for the project. Um, uh, you know, we've got to take in mind that I think, as Mary said, this is this is a significant impact on the host's family's lives. Um, and, um, you know, they can't just go away for the weekend or, um, you know, kind of change their plans at, at the last minute because they have to consider the guest. So I, I think it's, it's, it's the right... Um, the right amount of money. And how much does that cost w- with the, 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 compared to the cost of treating people in hospitals? Um, uh, um, treating, I mean, that's, it, that's a variety of, of varies again. Um, it can cost anything up to £300 a day to treat somebody in hospital. So it's, it's, it's a money, it saves money, basically. It does save money, but it's not about saving money because you've got to understand that the crisis teams that work and the host home treatment teams that work with the host families will very intensely put input into that um, host family to ensure that the, the treatment that the, the guest is receiving is absolutely um, as it should be. John Lavelle, we have to end it there. Thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I think I am about to... Uh, I'm going to uh, be vindicated live on air. Vindicated. Uh, live on air. The and the. Davina's in Letchworth. Good morning, Davina. Good morning, Ian. And Kate is in Harpenton. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Ian. Can I, can I just ask, are either of you um, uh, English lecturers or professors or anything like this? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. OK, you're, you're, you're just intelligent women. Apparently, you, you have the answer. Davina, would you like to go first, and then, Kate, you can back this up. First of all, you'll back me up. There is a rule, isn't there, Davina, about when you use the and when you use the? Well, apparently so. Um, it's quite strange, actually, because I only found this out at the weekend myself oh, as well. Oh, really? How, what was yeah. happening at the weekend that we were all being educated like this? I know. I mean, I had no idea there was a rule, although I do always use the right the and the. Yeah. Um, but apparently my sister told me this rule at the weekend. Go on. Now, if, it's, if the word starts with a vowel, for instance, orange, yeah. you say, can you pass me the orange? The orange. The orange. But if it was like a pair, you'd say, can you pass me the pair? And it just sounds right. You just, I don't well, remember uh, being taught it. Kate, does that, does that tally with what you were going to say? Well, no, I was going to make an educated guess, actually. Oh! No, gonna, uh, educated <laughs> guess? Well, let's have <laughs> that, then. Well, uh, you, you sounded so miserable about it. I wanted to put you out <laughs> of the <laughs> Oh, thank you, Kate. I, I am miserable about it. It's upset me. <laughs> But I, I would have thought it was something to do with the, um, the, the proper noun, so it would be the Ian Lee, whereas yeah. it would be the Ian Lee show. Well, d- that kind of oh sounds God. right to me as well. It, that, that does sound right to me. You've confused me now. Because Davina's sounded right, but it's different from what no. you're saying. So it no, could- it's the, the oh. Ian Lee show. But, but which. Uh, what should. So, Davina, should it yes. be the Ian Lee show or the Ian Lee show? The Ian Lee show. But Kate, you're saying Please? it should. You're, you're saying it should be the Ian Lee show because it starts with a vowel. But what I about? I think it sounds right saying the Ian Lee show. <laughs> the Ian Lee show. Let me. Uh, hang on. have to Google it. Ian. Uh, let me try this. Hang on. The, you're listening to the Ian Lee show. You're listening to the Ian Lee. No, I would say the Ian Lee show. And what's, oh, sorry, well. what's your other? What's the other speaker's name? Davina. Davina, this is so, Kate. Kate, this is Davina. Welcome. Hello, Kate. Davina, hi. Hi. So, hi. Would you say this is the Davina? Or would you say this is the Davina? The, because it starts with a consonant. See, I think the sounds right if you're stressing it's a, a name. <laughs> right, listen, but I'm going to get rid of both of you. Davina and Kate, thank you very much. Good effort, but you've just muddied, you've just muddied the waters even further. Davina and Kate, excellent work. Can we get someone who actually knows the answer, please? Don't yeah. go.
08459 555 555 BBC Three Counties Radio If you're on the M1, you should still be able to see the uh, fire that's uh, on this, it was in between Junction 8 and 9. It's, uh, it's, it's blazing away. It's, it's, it's smaller than it has been, but it's still flames f- licking the sky. It's been burning for 12 days. It's at a wood recycling centre in St Albans, and because the fire service is using so much water, residents living near Apspon Lane had their water supply affected. The company, Wood Recycling service, Services, well, they said there's a possibility the fire could have been started by accident, perhaps even by a spent firework. Well, our fire correspondent, Justin Dealey, uh, is at the site. Justin, you probably mm. got yourself your own little bunk bed there now yeah. or something. I mean, you're there all the time. <laughs> I am, but uh, it, it is improving, that's for sure. I know that you were driving up the M1 this morning, Morning. Yeah, um, you saw it. You've got to say things are certainly getting better. Oh, it they? looks a lot better. I was supr- I was expecting it to be more smouldering, though. It's still got flames coming off it, yeah. hasn't it? And they're still receiving calls as well. What I would say, I have got one of the most creative emails we have ever received at the radio station to come. That's on the way very, very soon. Ooh. Up first, though, uh, Ian Markwell, who's from Hearts Fire and Rescue. Welcome back to the show again. So, what's the latest as we currently stand? I'm saying it's improving. Is that the case? Uh, it certainly. Is. Yes, as you uh, drive past the scene, you can see that uh, the fire has diminished considerably. Pile has reduced over the last few days. We've uh, we've brought in the, the the size of the pile, damping down around the edges while still protecting the surrounding pile. So yes, it is improving. And we spoke about the locals and their water supply here. Uh, you were saying that's been sorted. They should have full access to their water now. Is that still the case? It certainly is. Yes, we're only using water off the site. We're recycling the water around that we've got here. Uh, and in fact, another positive is that the electricity should be back on on the uh, the overhead lines today as well. Fantastic. Now we had a statement from the company who run this recycling plant a few days ago. They were saying this fire could have been started by a firework. How are those investigations going? Uh, they're ongoing. Yes, we had a couple of officers here yesterday that were interviewing members of staff on site that discovered the fire. Uh, we're also taking statements from our own officers that were first here looking at CCTV. But yes, investigation is progressing. Now, if I was a betting man and I had a pound on me, I went into a, a betting shop today. When do you think this fire could officially go out by? Could I say, Monday, there's a pound and I might win some money? Okay. Well, actually, go out completely uh, is a difficult term to define. Uh, The main body of the fire there, I think we'll certainly be here for a few more days on site trying to control that one. Um, It will then just smoulder away. I mean, we'll have an awful lot of ash left there on site. I predict it'll be a number of weeks yet that that does smoulder away. Right, so a number of weeks for the smoke, but as for the fire itself, maybe Monday, I'm pushing you there, maybe Monday? Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. But you are still receiving calls? Uh, we are, yes. We are still receiving a few 999 calls from uh, motorists on the M1 in particular. But you would say to those people, everything is under control. We've obviously been here for, for quite some time now. It's just burning itself out. Hopefully, by Monday or maybe Tuesday, those flames would have gone. So nothing to worry about at all. Uh, no, again, we're always appreciative for, for people to put those calls in, just in case it is something different that they're picking up as they're driving along. But yes, certainly we've got the situation here well and truly under control. Now, Ian, back in the studio, two Ians here. Uh, you mentioned this earlier in the week. You got slightly confused. Mm. Ian, I have got such a creative email here. Who are you, now, who are you talking to now? I'm talking to you. Okay, Ian, back you. in the studio. Yes, okay, right, thank <laughs> okay. you. Okay, uh, Peter Rutherford has been in touch overnight, and he says, I telephoned the fire department to suggest that the fire could be put out by the way that forest fires are put out. Go on. By water bombing from an aircraft. Oh. I left a comprehensive message. He says, RAF Lynham is nearby and they do have C-130 Hercules.
Hercules hey. aircraft. Now, with a roll-on, roll-off water tank system, I seem to think that this fire could be put out within a couple of runs. How creative is that? Uh, Ian, the Hearts yes. Fire and Rescue... No, the other one, sorry. Yes, I'll be quiet. Go on. What's your reaction to that, this Hercules aircraft? Could it work? Um, it's a suggestion, and we're always grateful to members of the public for suggestions. What I would say is that I think the topography of this particular site doesn't lend itself to that particular type of attack. Mm. Uh, we do have the overhead cables running over. There's some housing quite close to the site as well. And I don't think that is a, a realistic option for us. It would cost you a lot of money as well, but it was a good try, wasn't it? Uh, it certainly was. Yes, and you're quite right there. There would be a, a cost implication to us as well for, uh, for using the military. And he also says as well here on the email, the fire department didn't have the courtesy to ring me back. He says, oh. I wonder if they see this as a source of overtime stretching from now until Christmas. Oh. If so, what a disgrace. I wonder whether you would like to investigate. Well, as we're here, I'm going to ask the main man, um, are you stretching this out for your overtime? Certainly not. We've uh, many other things that we need to be getting on with as well. And uh, as soon as we can, we'll draw our, our resources from this site. We will be. Uh, and certainly I'll contact Mr. Rutherford today. I, I have, uh, I, I'm aware of his answer phone message that he left. I uh, have been rather busy over the that, last week or two, but I will contact Mr. Rutherford that today. That sounds about. threatening, Justin. <laughs> he's going to go and sort it out. I'm sure he won't well, at all. In, in saying that, he's a very intelligent man, you were saying. Uh, it's a very articulate message he's left on my answer phone, yes, and I will contact him. Might you articulate about overtime, not sure on that one. Speaking of overtime, Justin, Ooh. shut up for a second, let me get a word in edgeways. <laughs> for goodness then. sakes, man. Go on, then. Listen, you're off uh, somewhere else after this, aren't you? Whereabouts are you going? Uh, yes, I'm going to Amptill. I'm talking about Nadine Dorries, uh, the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, of course, voted out on the TV show I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I have to say, I wasn't expecting that last night. I thought she may last a bit longer. Clearly she hasn't. She's taken a risk. She's gone in there. She's the first to go out. Out. A few weeks ago, we went to Amptill. People were furious about this. They, of course, they voted her in. Uh, they weren't happy. That was a few weeks ago, but their impressions and their opinions of Nadine Dorries, now they've seen her on national TV, have those opinions changed? I'll be live in the Waitress car park a bit later. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Johnny Mitchell, big yellow taxi. Now, a school in Hertfordshire says it's still campaigning to have some double yellow lines outside it. Five years on! It's got to the point now that Parents of children at Fleetville Infant School in St Albans have started a petition. Neither Hertfordshire County Council nor the local district council have been able to come up with a solution. Sonia Markey is both a resident on the street, Royal Road, as well as a parent of children at the school. I live right next door, um, so it's going to be an issue for me because the yellow lines are going to go right up outside my house. As you can see, the road is pretty full during school time. Um, so if I have shopping or my other children in the car, there's going to be nowhere for me to park. So I'm going to have to go to Morrison's. So as a resident, it is an issue, yes. So as a resident, it's an issue. What about as a parent of someone at this school? Um, as a parent, the parking is an issue. Um, for the children crossing here, they can't see either side of the cars. As you can see, there's cars parked on the side Right up lines. to the crossing, yeah. Yes, so are you, you uh, sort of on a, on a double-edged sword for you? I am, yeah, being a resident and a parent of the school. So ideally, what do you want to see happen? Um, ideally, I'd like to see the crossing moved to the front of the main entrance, not on the side entrance, and this side entrance closed because the entrance isn't 
the side entrance isn't a great in a great position for the the parents to go in and out of it. Well, you can have a look at the road on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. And I want to hear from you. How congested are the streets around your local school? They can be a nightmare, can't they? After 7.30, we'll be hearing from Councillor Chris White, who'll be telling us why this has taken so long. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Catherine? Yeah? Oh, no, nothing. Oh. She wants me to ask about the and the... She reckons she knows the answer. I don't want to give her the glory. I don't reckon I know. Oh, well, well, we may come back to you in an hour if we don't know, Catherine. There we go. I don't trust her. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Lots coming up in this hour of the show, including Member of Parliament Nadine Doris is out of the jungle. She's gone. No more Bush Tucker trials for her. Will you be welcoming her back to Mid Bedfordshire? The government are to outline plans to potentially end a 140-year ban on prisoners voting. Do you think prisoners should get the vote? And why parents in part of Hertfordshire have been battling for five years to get yellow lines outside their school. How congested are the streets around your local school? BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots of ways to get in touch. You can uh, email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Uh, you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or give us a phone call, 08459 555. Now, did you see I'm a Celebrity last night? Well, this happened. The public have decided the first person they want to leave I'm a Celebrity 2012 is... Nadine. Told you. Say goodbye, and we'll see you across the bridge in just a couple of minutes. Have a good day, everybody. Nadine Doris, MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, was the first celeb to be voted out of the jungle. On the plus side, though, she did learn something. We MPs complain all the time that more people vote on X Factor final, so I shouldn't say that, mm. and but I'm a celebrity, get me out of yeah. here, than they do in the general election. And that's your motivation for doing the show? But absolutely. People need to get... We MPs and anybody in public life needs to go where people are going to understand why. And that's one thing I've taken from here. I completely understand why people... Why more people watch I'm a Celebrity than vote during the general election? Mm. One man who I imagine would have been glued to I'm a Celebrity is Budge Wells. Uh, Budge is the deputy chair of the Mid-Beds Conservative Association. Morning, Budge. Good morning. Did you watch it? Uh, no, I've never watched the Oh, program. Budge, I don't... Come on now, be honest. Did you not watch, uh, watch any little clips of it? I have never watched the programme. It's never caused me, given me any interest. Did so you not watch Nadine eat a, a, a baked spider? I'm afraid not. Fermented egg? Never. Ostrich anus? Nothing, no. What was your feeling of her going into the jungle? How did you feel when she was going in? Um, we felt that it was an... Un- generally speaking, we felt it was an unnecessary thing for her to do. However, we respect the fact that she has free choice to pursue um, her views. Um, and what we want to do is when she comes back to the UK and after she's spoken to the chief whip is to discuss with her what she's done and why she's done it and to see what we can do mm. uh, to move on from there. What do you think should happen to her now? She, she's been kicked out of the Tories. Should she be let back? Well, um, that's up to the chief whip to decide. That's done at uh, Westminster What's level. your opinion on it? Do you, do you think she should? I think she should get a fair hearing from the chief whip and that after that hearing we'll go along with whatever the chief whip decides. When does she come back? Uh, we don't know. We were told at the beginning that she was out there for a month 
um, win or lose, you have to stay till the end. I mean, that's what we were told, whether that's true or not. Well, Con- Conley, I know Conley's left for medical reasons, but Conley's back home, I think, or on his way home. She does get to stay in a six-star luxury hotel for the rest of her stay, doesn't she? Cool. Wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's the, what are you going to say to her, Budge, when you, when you see her? I'm going to ask her to sit down with us at the executive and give her a chance to say her piece, mm. to let us know what was in her mind, why she did it. I think it's only fair we should listen to her first, and then we will be asking her questions that, you know, have been coming to our minds both in terms of what we think personally and what the members of the public in the constituency have remarked on her visit to Australia. How many constituents have been in touch with you? Well, I I can't give you an exact number, but I would... Tens? Hundreds? uh, Not hundreds, no, but certainly um, something approaching that, yes, Mm. but not a hundred. I wouldn't think it was a hundred, no. And and, and what's been the kind of overriding uh, message from them? I haven't had anybody yet supporting her uh, venture into the jungle in Australia. That's... I have to be fair about that. Um, They've all been concerned that she wasn't here working as an MP... Um, and they were concerned that perhaps uh, it trivialised uh, what an MP should be standing for. Her argument, I mean, Shefford's been getting a lot, lot of press attention. Her argument might be um, that this, all this press attention is great for Shefford and, and for you. Would you agree with that? Uh, no, I wouldn't, actually. I don't think it is uh, beneficial to us. I think, you know, popularity is exactly what it is. You're for a short space of time. You're in the news for doing something that's different. But I don't see how that actually helps the, the main plank for what you're on, which is to promote your political views and the views of the party to which you ascribe. But listen, trust me, if you've got five minutes spare later on, go onto YouTube, type yep. in Nadine Doris Anus, uh, you'll enjoy it. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> Budge, thank you very much indeed. Budge Wells there is the deputy chair of the Mid-Beds Conservative Association. Uh, well, our reporter Justin Dealey, as you may have heard earlier, is going to be in Ampthill this morning in the Waitrose car park. I think that's where he's going to be. Uh, and if you want to have your say, yes it is. Um, go and find him. He's a good looking chap, got terrible hair, um, a long coat. Take him a cup of coffee, biscuit, something like that, and go and say hello, introduce yourself, uh, and he'd love to get your opinion on this. Um, but also, you can give me a call if it's a little bit too far for you to go to Ampthill, or a little bit chilly. Give us a call. Will you be welcoming Nadine Doris back to Mid-Bedfordshire? 08459 455555. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. OK, so the, the debate of the day has been... I only discovered this at the weekend and I can't remember it. Apparently, the and the, there is a grammatical rule within the English language structure for when you use the and when you use the. My wife explained it to me, which is odd because my wife is half Greek and I'm always, I'm not always, but more often than not, I'm explaining rules and, and sayings and things like that to her. So when she told me, I was like, oh, you, you're an idiot, you're a fool. But she Googled it and apparently it, it might be true. But I can't remember what the rule is. Leslie's in Bedford. Good morning, Leslie. Hello. Now, you, you know this rule, do you? No, I don't know oh. the rule. No. How could it be I a rule if no one knows it? Well, I don't think there is a rule. Right, I've got a collection, well, my son's got a collection of what they call Get Results books Ooh. for their education. Okay, you know? for like GCSEs. Yeah. Like, let's, let's study aids. Right. No. Um, I've got the Dictionary of Grammar. Yep, okay. Well, this right. is going to have the answer. And in it, it yes. 
I mean, I don't want to read the whole lot. No, please don't read the whole you. dictionary of grammar because we've, we're only here till nine o'clock this morning. Well, I've got to go to work at eight. And then tomorrow we're in Flamstead, so I, yeah. you know, I've really got to get this sorted out soon. <laughs> right, it says the is sometimes pronounced the yes. when it is used to identify someone what? or something unique or important. Now, I've got another dictionary here. There's no pages on the front. It looks like it's sort of... Well, it's been used a lot. So, th- wh- wh- why are you telling me that? Does that mean it must be a well, good one? Well, because the is an adjective... Oh, gosh, already it's getting too confusing. Yes. And the, the. is singular. So, what in English, Leslie, what does that mean? Well, um... <laughs> oh, don't, don't just read me out a well, sentence the, that you don't understand. The, the is... Singular. I mean, P- please, miss, c- please, I- miss. Can I have exa- so you would say? Okay, so you'd say the books, the yes. the no, book, the books, th- and the books. No, the book, and the books. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, this is a the books, result, the books. You know, this is what my son's been using for his English grammar. You know, if he doesn't Does, get A plus or A, well, is he, star, I was going to say, Leslie, how's I'll he doing? Is he doing well? Oh yes. Bright, bright lad. Oh yes, very bright. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes, yes. He's going up to. Well, I'm, we're going to the school tonight. The new, the new twenty-two million pound Bedford School, mm. um, which has had a lot of trouble. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is, it, is it parents' evening tonight? Yeah, and it's to do with his sixth form. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Could you ask one of the teachers? Oh, I could. Yes. Ask actually. one of the teachers and give us a call back tomorrow. We're in Flampstead. Oh right. And let us know. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. Good, good work. Thank you. Yes, right, OK. Thank you, Leslie. Excellent stuff indeed. She's going to ask a teacher. If we've got any teachers listening, that would solve things. Come on, English teachers. You're all sitting in your, your, your MG Sprite smoking pipes. Isn't that what teachers do? Do they still do that these days? Probably not. I imagine that slightly. The and thee. Leslie's answer was good, but it was a little bit confusing. Um, Jen of Houghton Regis. Ian, you're driving me mad. Obviously, it's the before a consonant and the before a vowel. Well, is it, though, Jen? Because I would say, if I had an important book, I'd say, look at the book. The, it's the, it's the book. Is that the book? No, it's the book. <laughs> Nick and Hitchin, the or the, just like the indefinite article A-R-N, the before a vowel, simples. Pete says, uh, it seems to me you use the when the next word starts with an E. I may be wrong. Mm, you're wrong in both instances, says Spike. As in up north, it's toot, so toot. What? Toot? Don't throw a third thing into the mix. Colin in, in Biggleswey. Colin. Hello there, Ian. Please answer this. This was supposed to be a simple thing we should have solved by there 6.30, are... and now it's, it's, it's ridiculous. There are two rules. Okay. Are there? Okay, it's, it's go on. As, it's as simple as that. Yeah. The and the, uh, the, the vowels and consonants apply, but the variation is emphasis. So hang on a minute, let's get through the first rule. What's the first rule with the consonants and the vowels? The first rule is that it's the to precede a vowel and the for a consonant. The egg, the chicken. Correct. Okay. But... Got that one. (laughs) The has a secondary role for emphasis. So if it's the chicken... Yeah. You're emphasising that particular one. That, so that's so. If I have an important chicken, yes, it's the. I don't, why did I pick chicken and eggs? If I have an important chicken, it's the chicken. Uh, yes. But if I've got an, an insignificant chicken, it's the chicken. Yeah, that's it. Com- In, how uh, conversa- conversational and emphasis. 
if it, listen, I've I've been speaking. I'm 39 years old. I've been speaking English since I was 17. If I no, hang on, for my whole life, I mean, if I can't learn the blooming language, how are foreigners supposed to learn it? Um, I can't really answer that one because English is a complicated language. It always has exceptions. Colin and Bigglesway, thank you very much indeed. So, if it's a vowel, if the word begins with a vowel, it's the. If it begins with a consonant, it's the. So it's the chicken. Unless it's a, an, an important chicken, then it's the chicken. Have we cleared that up now? For goodness sakes. What a mess. 08459 four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Now, the Justice Secretary, Chris Grayling, is expected to make an announcement about whether prisoners should get the vote. There's a chance the current situation where prisoners don't have a vote will remain. There's also the possibility that some people could keep their right while they're detained. At the moment, only those on remand can vote, and Europe says that's unlawful. So, should some prisoners be given the right to vote? Or should the loss of liberty automatically mean the loss of voting rights? Got two guests now. John Hurst, former prisoner, now an active campaigner for prisoner rights. Morning, John. Good morning. Also got Professor Malcolm Davis, who is the Head of Law at the University of West London. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. John, uh, let's start with you. Why do you think it's important that prisoners should get a vote? Well, because, quite simply, uh, there's no will in Parliament for prison reform, and that's basically because prisoners haven't got uh, a vote and they haven't got a voice to push MPs into doing something about it. As we know, MPs are more interested in fiddling expenses and things like that and flipping mortgages than they are on prisoners' rights. So giving them the vote will at least draw their attention to the issue. That's a low blow, John, because some people would say that... It so, isn't that, a low blow. Well, no, it is. Let me finish. Because some people would say that prisoners, uh, you know, you're, you're accusing politicians of fiddling expenses. Prisoners well, they have, have done... been caught bank to right well, it, haven't they? So have the prisoners and been caught bank to... It. John, so have the prisoners... <laughs> yeah, but they're John, in jail. let me finish the sentence. So have the prisoners been caught bank to rights for the crimes they've committed. Yeah, but they're in jail. The MPs aren't. I mean, some of them claiming they're too sick. Well, no, let's... Uh, listen, I don't want to go down that legal minefield. No, because... <laughs> exactly. No, not not exactly, John, for no, legal reasons. they're the ones who claim that John, prisoners lost the moral authority John, to vote by committing John, their offences, and there John, they are. There's no moral authority John, to fiddle expenses. John, for legal reasons, I don't particularly want to discuss that case because that case is done and dusted, but that some MPs have got. I think, listen, I think you're, you're, you're sidewinding us with smoke and mirrors. The, legal, the, the MPs' expenses <laughs> is very, very little to do with it. <laughs> it's got everything to do with it. These are the people who are supposed to be voting on this. But let's get back to the issue. You're talking about there, you're saying there's these choices. There isn't any choices at all. You can't leave it where it is because you're in defiance of the highest court in Europe on that. And you can't say only those seven, six months and under will get the vote. I mean, elections only come round every five years. You know, so, I mean, that, that's a total no-no. And when you come to the one in the middle, which is the four years and under again, there's no way that is okay. going to hold so John, again for the simple reason that it's arbitrary cut-off point. John, are you saying that all prisoners should be given the vote? Yes. OK. Uh, Professor, what do you think about that? All prisoners, blanket lifting of uh, on prisoners, not getting a vote? I think that's uh, very unlikely to happen uh, for a number of reasons, but also I think morally it's uh, an unacceptable position. Here we go, it's morally. Start- John, John, <laughs> let, him, let him speak, please, John. You've had your turn. Yeah. It starts from the presumption that regardless of what I've done, whether I've killed or raped someone, I should continue to benefit from the full advantages of citizenship. And this is um, typically not the basis of a democracy in which the assumption is a person who has full rights of citizenship is, is, is expected to behave in a reasonable and civilised manner. So it's a continuation of the notion of having demanding rights without having responsibility to behave correctly. So I think that's the first sort of moral issue. 
And secondly, I think there's a much more important, or equally important point, which is that we don't have an absolute right to such things as voting. We debar all sorts of people. Young people are debarred. People are not resident and foreigners in this country. So it's not an absolute human right, this we're talking about. It's, it's a civic entitlement. And, and, uh, and in fact, that's just been recognized in the, in the recent case in, the, in, in, in Strasbourg um, in May this year, that the, the Parliament do have a right to, in, to determine who should have the right to vote. It's not up to a court in Strasbourg to make this decision. So there has been some controversy and, and change of opinion in uh, the European Court of Human Rights as to to what extent there is a, a, a right to vote and who should determine that. In the case which John will know very well, because uh, it continues from his case, the case of Frodo, the Austrian case, the, ju- the judges there made a very uh, a, a precise and detailed argument that it, it only a judge could debar someone from voting. Well, the Court of European Court uh, uh, of Rights in the Scopola case this year, May, uh, has gone back on that and said uh, Parliament and governments do have a right Michael, to let me, who should vote. let me just interrupt. John, why should someone who, for example, has murdered someone and has proved that they're not fit to um, be in society for a, at least a certain amount of time, they're not socially responsible, why should they be given the social responsibility of voting? I've told you, because it's a human right. Well, what about the, the well, human Frodo, right of the person that was Frodo killed? Was convicted of well, John, murder, and the court ruled that he should have. John, you're, a listen, vote. I, I don't particularly want to know about cases that I don't know about. But I'm, let's, let's, well, you should know about it. You're talking about it. Well, no, you I'm not. You do research, John. I don't know about that specific case. I've not had time to research every single specific case. But it, what about the rights of the person that was murdered? What's that got to do with? That? That's to do with the criminal law. This is well, where you people keep confusing things. And what the trouble is, it's all right you're going on a show and talking yeah. things like that and talking yeah. a load of nonsense, but when it comes down to talking serious things, you can't do it. Murder's quite you, serious, John. I'm talking quite yeah, serious things. but thing. that's dealt with the criminal law. That's got nothing to do with it. What but we're surely, talking about here is human rights law. No, surely nothing. Well, no, well, the, how does the human rights law protect those people that are murdered? They don't. Well, exactly. It's nothing to do with them. This is between the individual well, and the state. Well, John, I'm, I'm afraid it is something to do with them. It of course, isn't. Of, well, of course but it is. You're talking out your rear end. It isn't. John, John. Listen, if the person is in prison for killing someone, then the, the, the victim of that murder, of course it's about them. No, the criminal law has dealt with them. They've gone into the system. You've had your shout when they've committed the offence. What do you You've mean, your, your shout? You've had your shout in the court. The victim puts their point. What about or the your shout? Or the, the CPS puts their point. Wow, you're cold. Hey, you're no, c- I'm you're not cold, John. What I'm doing is I'm dealing with the issue. We don't start clouding it like the newspapers and the politicians do. You cloud the issues. What we do is we keep this down to people's human rights being abused by the but state. J- but this John, the murder, you're the, the point, the very simple point that you're ignoring is that the murderer, no, the John, listen to the sentence before you start shouting. Calm down. No, you can't. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, very calm. I don't suffer fools gladly. Go on, carry on. You, you, John, listen, John, you are, you are welcome, nor do I. And you are welcome, and I don't suffer arrogance, gladly. You're welcome to put... Go on, carry on. You're welcome to put the phone down any time you want. I'm not going right, to cut I you off. I don't mind, you know, I've got my breakfast here waiting to eat my cornflakes. Go and have it any time you want, fella. But all you could do me the decency of listening to the question and stop giggling about something that's actually quite serious, OK? Well, talking... it is serious, but you're talking well, stupid. No, I'm not, John. You, can you focus on the topic, please? No, I'm trying to get you to focus on it, and you're oh, trying to go up round the... You're being, you're being flippant about something that's very serious. You're representing, uh, you're representing prisoners, uh, and you're actually being quite arrogant and quite rude, I think, and you're being disrespectful to those families of people that have been murdered. No, the criminal law deals with that. Let's deal with human rights law. What were you in prison for, John? Manslaughter. OK. 
it's a matter of public record. That okay. was 30 years ago. Now, can we move on to the state abusing people's human rights? No, we can't, John, because this is actually quite quite important. No, this is... Oh, so <sighs> you don't want to dis- discuss about the state abusing people's human rights. What, what about the, what about the murderers, about John? What about the murderers who are abusing the human rights of their victims? Why should abuse, they... You don't abuse people's human rights with that. The criminal law, it's a separate you issue. You don't abuse people's human rights human by rights murdering them. Human rights is wow. purely about the wow. state and the individual. OK. Check the Human Rights Act. The European Convention, wow. nowhere does it say John. any victim of a murder as human rights. That's dealt with under the criminal law. Wow, John. I know, wow, your ignorance. No, your, your arrogance. My, my ignorance, butting your arrogance, man alive. People, I know whose side people are going to be on, John. Malcolm, let's see if we can get some sense from you. Can we, th- listen. <laughs> you're, you're funny. Malcolm, uh, it's been ruled that uh, we are breaking the law by not letting uh, prisoners have the vote, the European and international law. We can't pick and choose the laws that we want, though, can we? No. Um, well... We are talking about the European Court of Human Rights, um, and the problem with the Court of European Rights is that it has no democratic mandate, and it's not particularly accountable to anyone. Um, And it has these problems of reversal of views, and I've mentioned the Freud and the Scupola case, uh, where the judge had to make the decision on if a prisoner couldn't have a right to vote, and now they're saying that the Parliament can make a decision. Um, so there is, a, there is now a recognition that having that, that change, that Parliament does indeed have a right to determine who in their, in their country has the right to vote. And we must realise that not everyone does have an absolute right to vote. And that's the point I was trying to make. There is no absolute vote. But Malcolm, right if, vote. If, if, if people, some people think that, that, that prison is, is punishment, when, when of course it, prisons were originally created to, to be uh, for rehabilitation. And surely rehabilitation should include some form of integration with society, even if it's something like voting. Well, I, I, I agree with that. And I think, therefore, what the, one of the possible solutions, because the government does have to get out of a problem, particularly a coalition government where the Liberal Democrats are very committed to this, uh, aid to the European Court of Human Rights, and secondly to giving prisoners the, the right to vote, that they will have to come up with some compromise. And also, of course, there is a backlog of, of uh, I believe, 2,500 prisoners demanding compensation. All right, it's gone up now. John probably yeah. knows this better than I do. Um, so there is, a, there is a, a set of pragmatic concerns. One of the solutions is to build into the notion of people are coming up to release or on release or as part of their parole conditions that they have to go through some sort of uh, a, a test on civic responsibility. And before they've completed their sentence, because as you well understand, in most uh, determinate sentences, person's sentence of four years is actually released after two years into the community. It could be a condition of the release that they do some program or they agree to do a program. Um, and I suspect for some prisoners to take advantage of that because they want to be uh, rehabilitated, and that would be a sensible idea in my, my book. But also, it's also clear that lots of prisoners aren't in the least bit interested in doing this. In Ireland, in 2006, when they introduced the reform to allow all prisoners' right to vote, exactly. 16% did register a post vote, but the uh, Irish Penal Reform Trust uh, uh, estimated that only 4% of them were actually interested. Chaps, we're running out of time. John, if, if, John if you'd been able to vote when you were in prison, would you have done? And what would it have meant to you to yeah, be able to do done, that? Because, like I say, it gets them interested. The whole thing about this is when we had the Iraq War, the US and the UK gave all Iraqi prisoners the vote because they said it aids democracy, and that's the whole point. It will aid democracy in this country as well by giving all prisoners the vote. OK, we have to end it there. John Hurst, thank you very much, uh, former prisoner, um, and Professor Malcolm Davis, head of uh, law at the University of West London. Well, there you go, listener. You do listen. You've heard both John and Malcolm. Should prisoners... 
get the vote. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can uh, text eight one three double three. Starting your text three C R, or you can uh, send us an email. Ta. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties seven thirty two. Coming up in the next half an hour, families in Hertfordshire are paid to host someone with a mental health problem. Would six hundred pounds a week be enough of an incentive for you to do the same? And exciting news, the Ian Lee Show, that's me, uh, comes from Flamstead tomorrow. You can join us. I will give you the details in about 15 minutes' time, so make sure uh, you listen to that. We were talking uh, earlier on, just before the news, about whether prisoners should be given the vote or not. 08459 455 5. By the way, this is the, 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 the vote to, to bring in MPs and things like that, not, not the vote on I'm a Celebrity. I'm not sure whether they can do that or not. We're not discussing that today. Paul is in Bletchley. Morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. How what, are you going? Yeah, fine, thank you. What, what do you think? Should, should prisoners be given the vote? I think definitely, yes, because I think you want to try and re- rehabilitate the uh, prison population. Um, you, you know, it would give prison officers a valuable tool in, in the rehabilitation process. You know, they can have um, discussions with them. And, I mean, it's obviously most prisoners have gone outside the law in the first place, outside the democratic process, you know, which uh, the reasons they're there, you know. And it might actually make them start thinking, well... You know, I can get my point across in the democratic way. But if they are, 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 by breaking a law, surely they've excluded themselves from society. So why should they be allowed to say what society does and which direction it heads in? Well, at the end of the day, you want these people rehabilitated. I don't know, I don't know exactly know what the figures are, but I would probably 50% of all prisoners reoffend. Now, that's just what you don't want. You know, you want yes. people to be rehabilitated. And, um, and well, I think the, the... I mean, it can be done on a postal vote, so there's virtually no cost to anybody. So they don't have to go down to the local school or the local church hall or anything. That would be <laughs> good. All right, Paul, let, so um, someone yeah. who's um, serving a few months for shoplifting. Yes. Given well, give the, give the vote. No, well, no, because obviously, if if you're in there for a very short sentence, I, I think the the you know the actual organisational side of things would be would be very difficult. Right. But, but um, a murderer who's in there for life. Um, well, there are. I mean, if you're a psychopath or something, you know, I think <laughs> there's certain categories. Yep, you, you you wouldn't give right, them. So a vote. You, I mean, you, let's okay. So let's go through. So you, so far, we wouldn't give a vote to a shoplifter or a murderer. Yeah. How about a rapist? I, I think not. No, I think people's no. sexual crimes. I think you would. Right. You, you would, but. Yeah, I would say that probably ninety percent of the population you could do, you, you know, and 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 why not? You know, you know I mean, David did, Cameron did, is trying to be macho, saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, you know, we're, we're not going to give." You know, it's just an image, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're a democratic country, so yeah. let's let's engage people you see, in the democracy. Paul, you see the problem there is if we do give votes to some prisoners, yeah. th- th- then you, uh, and, but not all prisoners, then you get the problem of deciding which ones should get the vote. So no to murderers, no to rapists, no to shoplifters, but car thieves, you know, it then becomes well, a problem, doesn't it? Would you yeah, give the vote well, to car thieves? Say shoplifters, I would say people under six-month sentences. Okay. But you would, you would have a select committee that would look all, yeah. uh, to all this. And then Paul, listen, we have to end it there. Thank you very much, Paul in Bletchley. He thinks we should give it to some. Not shoplifters, not rapists, not murderers. It becomes difficult, doesn't it, when you have to categorise them like that. And you're not going to keep everyone happy. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should we give the vote to prisoners? Now, the Hertfordshire Partnership Foundation Trust has won a national award for an innovative mental health project. The trust has come up with a new host families program where people with mental health problems are placed in homes, a bit like foster care. The guest stays anywhere from two weeks to two months, and the idea is that the family environment aids recovery. 
Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went to meet Mary Mitchell in Stevenage. Mary is a host as part of the scheme. Victoria started by asking her why she got involved. After being made redundant from a job I was in for 27 years, also losing my husband, I just felt I didn't want to vegetate. I still had something to give. I own my own house, so I had spare bedrooms, which was one of the criterias for the job. And did you have any concerns before you got involved with this, having someone with a mental health problem in your home? I won't say I didn't, because originally, on talking to my family, my son had quite a lot of concerns, but I have since discussed an awful lot with him, and he is quite happy with the fact, knowing they won't be sending people to stay in my property that are violent or drug users. So, yeah, I'm quite happy to do it now. On your first experience of having somebody in your house, how did that work? And tell me a little bit about that. It felt strange, first of all, and the first few days, I would not say were easy. We tended to work together rather than against each other. So I learned a lot about her culture, she learned a lot about ours, and ended up very good friends. And what happens if somebody becomes more unwell while they're living with you and perhaps has an episode and their mental health problem becomes more severe? How do you deal with that? The first thing we have to do is notify the cat team and the cat team will they could be here within 10 minutes and have you ever had to call upon their services once um, what was that like for you it was um i felt a bit a bit of a failure to be honest i tried to reason with this particular service user but she wanted to leave and at the end of the day that is their choice you're like a foster mum in a way, aren't you? What is that like for you to look after them and, and how much is it looking after them? What do you actually have to do? I think the most that I have to do is friendship and companionship and just give them that little bit of motivation to want to do things for themselves that they're quite capable of doing but because they've been either on the ward or, or somewhere else they haven't had to do all that for themselves They haven't had to go out and do their own shopping. They haven't had to change their own beds. And that's all something that I feel when they leave here, if they do, they're capable then of looking after themselves. The NHS will reimburse you around £600 a week for having a guest in your house. What's the money used for? The money is used for, obviously, extra gas, electricity. And I do always ask each guest that comes to me their preference in foods. And if it's something that I would not normally buy, I would endeavour to accommodate their needs. I've never actually worked it out sort of pound for pound. And although it sounds a lot of money, you don't make a lot out of it because you do try and make that person as comfortable as they can be. I guess part of the money goes towards the fact that this is an inconvenience to your life as well. It's, well in fact, it's life-changing. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, yes. You know, I, I can't just suddenly decide to go away for the weekend or something if I know that I have a service user in my home. The people that come to stay with you, how do they find it? What do they say to you? A lot of them have said to me that it's been a big help to their progress in being in a normal family environment. Mary Mitchell there from Stevenage speaking to our reporter uh, Victoria Cook. Now, Marjorie Wallace is the chief executive of the mental health charity SANE. Morning, Marjorie. Good morning. What do you make of this project? Well, I mean, I think it's really quite refreshing, and at least it's imaginative, which is what we need in mental health. 
And it's also what strikes me is that I've just been doing a lot of reports about a survey about loneliness and also the dangers of loneliness and people who are acutely mentally ill, you know, how they become more and more um, isolated and isolated from communities and um, the normal life. So in that way, it sort of seems to strike the right note. Um, I am pleased to see that they uh, say that though it is reducing the pressure on acute inpatient services, and clearly that's what the uh, you know the whole goal is, that they uh, say that they are sort of monitoring it carefully with the crisis and assessment team. Um, so it's very very early days, but the fascinating thing is, you know, that this has been going on since the seventh century in 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 uh, Belgium. This was started as a as a scheme that people would have host families stay there for a while, acutely mentally ill people. And it's, take, it's taking place in Australia, New Zealand, I know about some Australian schemes and other countries, so why is it taking so long to come to this country? Uh, why does a, being in a, a host family environment help someone with mental health issues? Well, we don't know yet because we haven't had the results and it's only very few families, but we just heard uh, from, from the person who was uh, taking people in. Um, I think what it does is it gives some consistency to the person who is acutely ill. What people tell us it's saying all the time is that um, whether they're sort of left in the community or they're on, in a, on a ward, when there are very few people can get onto wards now, they don't see the same person day in, day out. They don't see the same doctor always. They don't see the... They hardly see doctors, actually. They don't always see same members of a team. And it's this feeling of somebody that is um, that knows their story, knows their history. They don't need to repeat it again and learns to sort of tolerate some of the sort of demons that they cope with that might be very, very positive for them. Is there any risk, Marjorie, for, for a family taking in someone with these mental health conditions? Yes there's always a risk because um, if somebody is, and these are acutely unwell people, you know, who would otherwise be in uh, an inpatient unit, uh, there, there is some risk. But, uh, you know, what they're saying is that they're selecting the people. They're selecting people. Remember, the majority of uh, people with mental illness are never, ever sort of violent or threatening. Um, I think people might be very afraid if they become suicidal, but they can call on help then. And um, I just think it's an interesting way of approaching things. And, you know, anything that educates the rest of the community, which this will do, into understanding how difficult it is for other families who do live with a member of the family who is acutely ill, I mean, this will give a great insight as to the kind of problems they face day in and day out. Marjorie, thank you very much. We have to end it there for time reasons. Marjorie Wallace, Chief Exec of the mental health charity SANE. If you think you might be interested in being assessed for this scheme, uh, then you can uh, email host.families at heartspartsft, H-E-R-T-S, partsft dot N-H-S dot U-K. Or you can call the dedicated line 07768 131413. And we'll put all the details up uh, on Facebook uh, and on Twitter as well. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Prisoners getting the vote, should they be allowed to? Richard's in Bedford. Morning, Richard. Uh, good morning. What, what, uh, what do you make of this? Uh, no. I, I, I say that because um, if, if we give in to this, we're going giving in to Strasbourg, aren't we? Allowing a foreign body to dictate over our parliament and our courts. And that's why I say no. Uh, there's a wider implication here, isn't there? In... Um, Again, giving in, curtailing to, to 
the EU and, and, and to Strasbourg. No, but is it, is it kowtowing, Richard? Because we've signed up to be part of the uh, part of the EU and part of Europe. We can't pick and choose the, yeah, the laws yeah, we, we like yeah, and the ones we don't. Yeah, you and I have not signed up. I've not, I've not voted for this. No one in this country voted for this um, to, to, to give powers away from Westminster. That's for sure. Uh, we're supposed to be a trading block. And, and that, that is the bigger issue here. And uh, it is kowtowing because we're, we're being um, pushed again in, in, a, in a line against our Parliament's wish. Our Parliament won't vote for this. They won't put it through. Mm. You know, and that's, that's the issue. And, and if we're forced to do it, again, we're losing powers. And, and that is so serious. Richard, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. What do you think? Should prisoners be giving the vote? I've run out of music. I'm sorry. There's just too much weather over the next few days. Elizabeth, when, when <laughs> you, you say it's not definitely not kite-flying weather today, when do you think I will be able to take the kite out again? Well, you, you'll be able to take the kite out this morning because it's breezy enough, but I think you're, ki- you're going to lose it very quickly this okay, afternoon with you. all those strong gusts of wind. Elizabeth, I shall make sure I'm finished before midday. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Exciting news tomorrow. I was, I was going to say this is my first outside broadcast for Three Counties. Of course it's not. The very first breakfast show I did um, was in, in Luton, in the square. And I was filling in for a couple of weeks, and it was um, the Olympic torch. Boy, they threw me in at the deep end. Well, tomorrow should be a lot of fun. Because you can come and see the show being done. I warn you now. <laughs> I warn you now. There's not a lot to see. It's just me wearing headphones, talking into a microphone. But you, come along. It'll be nice to meet you. Just don't touch me. That's the only rule I've got. I know. Say hello, but don't touch me. We're going to be in Flamstead tomorrow, celebrating community businesses. Just like the coffee shop in The Spotted Dog. <laughs> And there are three dimensions to it, really. It's getting people through the door, getting people from the village to contribute cakes and biscuits, and getting enough people to serve as baristas. And the first two, we've done excellently. People coming through the door have been terrific. The turnover's gone up. The cakes and biscuits that have been provided free by people from the village have been wonderful. All sorts of people come in. Pretty much everybody you'll see will pop in at some point throughout the day. And whether it's to the pub or to the coffee dog, yeah, it's just a really active village. Well, there's probably a few of us around in the morning sort of six or seven or eight of people come in everybody in this village really tends to use the local facilities it's really nice yeah local facilities yeah local business do we get a breakfast <laughs> do i get coffee and an egg sandwich that's all no it's gonna be a lot of fun tomorrow you can come and join us we're gonna be at the spotted dog flampstead between six and nine tomorrow morning do come along uh, and say hello It'll be nice to meet you uh, if you want more details go to the facebook page facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr and also if you follow us on twitter um, at BBC3CR, then you'll, you'll get all the details on there. I'm looking forward to that a lot. Now, a school in Hertfordshire says it's still campaigning to have some double yellow lines outside it. Five years on! That's how long they've been campaigning for. It's got to the point... Sorry, I just hiccup live on air. How rude. It's got to the point now that parents of children at Fleetville Infant School in St Albans have started a petition. Neither Hertfordshire County Council nor the local district council have been able to come up with a solution. These parents outside the school told our reporter Tony Fisher what they thought. They want to put yellow lines outside here. Yeah. Uh, the school does. What do you think about that? Is that, is that a good I thing? I think or? it is. It's used as a crossing, although it's just a speed bump. And the problem is that because cars are really, really parked close to it, you can't see. So you end up having to be out almost in the middle of the road to peep around the cars. And with young children as well, once they start to cross the road, they think it's safe. So there have been a few times where, even as I drive up here, so I'm very cautious and aware that there are children. Especially with big cars these days, like this yeah. one here, just reversing Especially out. You can't see as you go across no, the No, at all. And the thing is, the children are below his level of sight. So he can't, you know, if he's reversing a little bit to get himself out, 
he wouldn't see that there were small children behind him. So but, yeah, you've had one or two little near misses, have you? Well, there has been a few times where a child has come out, but obviously, having my own children, I'm well aware. <laughs> so I come up very, very carefully. So you would like to see some yellow lines and perhaps a crossing move? I think, and have it identified as a crossing because it is used so much as a crossing and I think, you know, have it as zebra crossing or pelican crossing or something or even, I don't know, a little set of traffic lights but something certainly... Something anyway. Needs something, yeah. I I think they shouldn't even park here because it's not good for the children because it's very dangerous when car come in and children coming out from the school and then it make a hazard. Absolutely. So they should have something, whether it's yellow lines or yeah. something, to yeah, identify something this like, crossing. Yeah, yeah. Like children stop or something, stop sign or something. When children cross and you know, ch- children coming out from school or uh, children going home. So. But do you think there should be something here, some yellow lines or something to identify this crossing to make it less dangerous? Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you encountered any problems yourself? Or? No, I just think, you know, the children think this is a safe area to cross so sometimes they tend to just cross and it's not really that safe because it's really busy at pick up and drop off times so as we can see now yes so you have to be on the alert all the time and on the watch all the time because there's cars there's constant cars well the school apparently has been asking for something to be done for five years many many years we have been asked not to park here and every every year it seems to be getting worse so would you like to see some improvements Definitely. i think it's a really really busy school lots of children crossing the road and there aren't many schools where you wouldn't see some sort of pedestrian crossing or some safety crossing at least yeah and it is it's an incredibly busy school so no i think it makes perfect sense and i can't believe it's that expensive to paint yellow lines either well listening to that report is local st albans district councillor chris white who is also a hertfordshire county councillor morning chris good morning you've known about this for a long time five years or so it's been going on why yeah. has it taken so long for something to be done about it well it, it's unbelievable bureaucracy uh, everyone's agreed that this needs to be done and last november that's a year ago i was told it's all ready to go we've looked at the few objections that are taking place, made an adjustment to cope with those objections. Are you happy for it to roll, Chris? They said, and I said, yeah, let's get on with it. And now, a year later, nothing has happened. So um, I've been pursuing it and uh, was eventually told that uh, uh, we need to look at the controlled parking zone possibilities in all the neighbouring streets. Now, that's not relevant to this and looks like a bureaucratic excuse to do nothing. Well, I, I don't get it. Push it through, Chris. Push it through. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could get to the Albert Go down again. there with a couple of tins of yellow paint well, and a brush and do it. I know that there was a, a few years ago, there was, there, was a, there was a community copper who used to go around with a tin of yellow paint in his boot because he got fed up with the fact that the council wouldn't repaint uh, yellow lines uh, where there'd been roadworks. He, he sneakily did it himself. I'm sure he shouldn't have done it, but it's exactly that sort of attitude which causes uh, people to take direct action. So I'm very sympathetic with that. Is it go- are yellow lines going to make the, the, that street safer for kids? Or are there yeah. other alternatives? I, I think we start with the other line, because um, as the parents quite clearly said, you can't really see what's going on, and it's an, it's an unbelievably busy little section of road, and one of the problems is it, it, it's, a, it's a, a cul-de-sac, so you've got cars that come in, they drop the kids, mm. and they're going out again, and in order to go out again, of course, they're having to manoeuvre around or U-turn. There's far too much mixing of pedestrians and cars in this little street, and, and when you've got pedestrians and cars, particularly when the pedestrians are not very high, 
um, then you, you've got a risk and you've got danger. So if we get a fewer cars in there and better sight lines, it's got to improve things. Uh, is there a way, because I, I imagine the difficulty, part of the difficulty, is balancing the needs of uh, the parents of the kids and the local residents. How do the residents feel about the yellow lines? Are they up for it? Uh, they are, I think, now. Um, they were concerned that they were a bit long for their purposes, and that's why there were a couple of objections which we looked at, and uh, adjustments to the original scheme, which was a bit excessive, were made. So I think we've got a compromise, uh, and hopefully they, they will be content and won't lose out too much. Because it's, it's not the local residents who want mm. to drive out anyway. It, it's people who are uh, using uh, the street to park in the local shops when they could actually uh, use the Morrison's car park and indeed um, uh, benefit that particular supermarket. It seems officers uh, from St Albans District Council are meeting with the head teacher today. Is that a coincidence or has it got something to do with you going to the press? I suspect it's because I went to the press. There was an article in the local paper last week which uh, exposed the nonsense and I, I, I spoke to journalists there explaining that at one point they actually came to me to see whether I got the original paperwork. Well, it's, you know, well, whilst I'm happy to oblige and I never delete an email, uh, it is my job to keep the paperwork of of, uh, of uh, highways consultations. And I think that has uh, very usefully, and indeed you very usefully by being down there yesterday, uh, have uh, caused uh, the council to act. But I've got loads of these things all over the district with little, very little, very uncontroversial schemes which they're not pushing forward uh, at a reasonable pace. You shouldn't have to wait months, and indeed in this case years, to get a simple bit of yellow paint down. OK, Chris, we have to end it there. Chris White, local St Albans District Councillor, and also uh, a Hertfordshire County Councillor. We've got a couple of statements, bear with me. Hertfordshire County Council say the County Council began an informal consultation in mid-2010 on the addition of double yellow lines. Uh, we received some objections from local residents and worked with them to resolve their concerns. Uh, as part of an agreement with St Albans District Council, the marking of the new restrictions was put on hold to await, this, await the outcome of a second and wider consultation. This is now finished, and the council is working with the school and local members to finalise arrangements around the school crossing. And St Albans and City and District Council say that they have undertook a consultation into whether residents-only parking should be implemented in the Fleetville area of St Albans. Since residents-only parking would have negated the need for yellow lines in Royal Road, uh, they've decided to await the outcome for our, uh, of their consultation before proceeding. To be helpful and move the project on, a senior parking officer from the District Council is meeting with the head teacher of Fleetville School today to discuss next steps. What a lot of statements. 08459 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Prisoners, should they be given the vote? And Nadine Doris booted out of the jungle last night. She did that annoying thing of, of, as her name was, I told you so, I told you so. No, you do, people always say that to cover their backs so that if they do get booted out, they can say, I told you so. And if they don't, they can go, oh, what a surprise. But she's out. She's staying in Australia in a six-star hotel, the Versace Hotel. Will you be welcoming her back with open arms? Morning, this is Ian Lee, Three Counties Radio. Exciting news. Tomorrow's show is coming from Flamstead. You can come down and say hello if you want. I'll give out details in the next hour. So at some point, when, when I find a few minutes, I'll give you a sneaky peek as to what's happening. Also, between now and nine, she's not a celebrity. Get her out of there. MP Nadine Doris has been booted out of the jungle. Will you be welcoming her back to Mid-Bedfordshire? Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is in Amp Hill this morning. He's in the Waitrose car park. 
You've got time. Go and find him. Go and say hello. Take him a cup of coffee and a biscuit and uh, let him know your thoughts. Also, the, the, the thing we've been discussing this morning, should prisoners get the right to vote? The government will set out its plans to give MPs a say on whether it should happen. If you want to get in touch, lots of ways. I, I recommend going to the Facebook page today. There's lots of pictures, lots of news about tomorrow's show. Lots of bits and pieces are up there. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, you can also uh, text us, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way, I keep saying it, but it really is the best way. Give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's always amusing when I start um, talking and I haven't got my microphone on. <laughs> I just did a bit of the show that none of you heard, only my head. Did you watch I'm a Celebrity last night? No? Missed it? Well, you missed this. The public have decided the first person they want to leave I'm a Celebrity 2012 is... Nadine. Nadine. See you, goodbyes. I will see you across the bridge in just a couple of minutes. Have a good day, everybody. Nadine Doris, MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, was the first celeb to be voted out of the jungle. Well, earlier on in this show, I spoke to Budge Wells. He's the deputy chair of the Mid-Beds Conservative Association. Generally speaking, we felt it was an unnecessary thing for her to do. However, we respect the fact that she has free choice to pursue um, her views. And what we want to do is when she comes back to the UK and after she's spoken to the chief whip is to discuss with her what she's done and why she's done it and to see what we can do mm. uh, to move on from there. How many constituents have been in touch with you? Well, I, c- I can't give you an exact number, but I would... Tens, hundreds? Uh, not hundreds, no, but certainly um, w- something approaching that, yes, mm. but not a hundred. I wouldn't think it was a hundred, no. And, and, and what's been the kind of overriding uh, message from them? I haven't had anybody yet supporting her uh, venture into the jungle in Australia. That's, I have to be fair about that. Um, they've all been concerned that she wasn't here working as an MP, um, and they were concerned that perhaps uh, it trivialised uh, what an MP should be standing for. That was Budgewell speaking to me earlier on. Well, BBC Three Counties political reporter um, Paul Scoynes has been an avid fan of the show since it started. Good morning, Paul. Morning. Hello. Well, good, hello. Good morning. Why do you think she was kicked out of the jungle? Oh, that's an interesting one. I, why? Don't, hang on, I th- don't, don't sound surprised by that question. It's obviously going to be the first thing I asked. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's it, maybe the, the the idea that she had in, initially to to kind of get the public on side to maybe change the view of politicians didn't work. I mean, having watched it, I don't really think she probably hit the targets that she wanted to be doing. I mean, you know, her idea initially was to go out there and uh, change the change the view of politicians, and also to maybe discuss some of the political issues she felt weren't picked up by Was- the mainstream media. Was any of that, that shown? No. Oh. Absolutely not. No. I mean, there was a, there was an element in the first programme, Ian, where, where they discussed politics, and the, the outcome of it was that Eric Bristow didn't vote. I remember that more than very anything crafty, else. Very crafty, very crafty indeed. Um, and then, you know, they did have a little bit of a chat about some of the sort of public's perceptions of politics, but that's really where it went to. Now, there isn't, you know, I know in Big Brother you can watch the sort of show behind the scenes, if you like, but the, but this this programme doesn't have that. Mm. So all of the sort of interesting discussions that she talked about last night when she came out and spoke to Anton Deck, and said, oh, well, I've had some very interesting discussions, but you probably haven't shown them. It's like, well, yeah. But you I would have, have to be, Paul, you would have to be 
so naive, nay, borderline stupid, to think that uh, uh, an ITV entertainment show, the biggest show they have, is going to show even... 30 seconds of a discussion on changing the abortion laws mm. or, or anything like that. She must be naive to think that was going to happen. Well, she did say that she'd never seen the uh, show before and that the first time she'd seen it when, was when a researcher passed her a DVD of previous programmes. Now, I'm mm, not sure... I mean, she must have known. She must have known. She, she's got some very uh, influential friends in the media. She, she knows, you know, how to kind of get herself across on television in an interview format. But they must have told her, they must have told her that you wouldn't have been able to sort of get those points across, that the edit would be brutal. Mm. And it was in some ways. And, and I have to say, you know, as, as the days went on, she became to sort of appear a little bit more needy, perhaps. You know, she was going up to all the contestants and hugging them and kissing them sort of very sort of over uh, familiar with some people and i think that sort of maybe people maybe sort of saw that element of her and maybe well, didn't want to see it paul have a listen to this i don't know if you uh, heard this earlier on nadine doris has been yeah. speaking to the itv1 breakfast show daybreak which i'm amazed is still going she was on there this <laughs> seriously she was on there this morning uh, and uh, have a listen she says that she's back at work already actually there's been an office set up in my hotel room and i've already been back at work actually um what is overnight to you as soon as i got out the jungle i was straight back to work um, it's interesting, actually, because some of the um, emails and the stuff that I've seen um, while you've been overnight in the UK states that I'm not there for my constituents. Well, actually, I worked right until the second I left. I worked all the way through the summer recess. I only actually had four days away during the summer um, when other MPs were abroad for, you know, four and five weeks at a time. I worked all the way through the summer. I did my surgeries right up to the minute I left, and only one person has booked in for next month's surgery. So, you know, it's quite interesting. Some of the flack that's been thrown at me just, I'm afraid, isn't true. My office has been manned, my staff have been working hard and I'm back at work already. Just let you know that J Jonathan Vernon-Smith is apparently on the phone trying to get through to our Australian office. He's, he's struggling. This is according to what he's just tweeted. He's struggling. He'll be asking at nine, uh, did Nadine Doris really do anything wrong? Paul, what, what did you make of what she had to say there? Well, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, her, her office in the, in the UK in Bedfordshire certainly seems to have been fielding more sort of uh, calls from Jonathan than, than, than most people, I think. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm just looking at the, the betting here. I've got some, uh, mm. some political betting here. Uh, her, her odds to officially join UKIP are 10 to 1. To resign her seat in the Commons in 2012, 20 to 1. Not to be re-elected as an MP at the next general election, 8 to 11 on. I just, yeah. I... I I don't know. I, I get the feeling that from the uh, with a combination of the local party being furious, you know, the MPs and the councillors at the PCC elections blaming her for the loss in Bedfordshire of the Conservative uh, candidate Jazz Palmer, uh, you know, to the Prime Minister having to field um, questions about it. This is just not looking great for Nadine, and I think that she, the, the, the idea that she feels she's going to slip back into constituency life, you know, she may have only missed a few days' votes and so on in, in, in the Commons, but I I think this is just going to have a bit of a more of a lasting uh, sort of nasty taste i suppose for our constituencies not as not as nasty as an ostrich's anus paul scoins our political reporter thank you very much well justin dealey has been in westerning this morning uh, justin how have things been going busy well yeah very very busy indeed again it's one of the big talking points this morning everybody's talking about it i've been talking to tony squires in westerning and he's not happy so tony have you got the red carpet at the ready to welcome back your local mp nadine doris absolutely not and tell us why that's the case as I said before, it's one of these things where she, she's in the public light, she's serving the public, and 
it's it's just not the thing to do. Most people have looked at it. They've, they've well, they're disgusted with it, to be honest with you. Is she an embarrassment? I think she's an embarrassment. Um, I think a lot of people now that possibly had respect for her, that's not going to be there anymore. So you've lost all respect for your yep. local MP? Yeah, I think I think that's that would about sum it up, yeah. Do you think she can carry on being your local MP? Now, if you're saying that, that's one thing, but, but you're telling me the, the majority of people you're talking to also have the same view. How can she carry on being your local MP if people see her in that light? Well, she won't. I... I I'd, I just don't think she will. Um, I've, in fact, I think as, as people turn against her, I mean, it, I mean over a period of time, I, I dare say, you know, uh, time heals. Mm, mm. But I think at the moment, she will realise what she's done, um, and I, I, I think she'll step down. And you think people here in the street will, will quite literally give her abuse as she's walking through Westerny? I don't know about abuse... But they'll certainly voice their opinion. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting time. <laughs> it certainly is. Thank you for yours. Have no a good day. No problem. Thank you. Goodbye. So that was Tony Squires. As we currently stand in, I'm yep. actually just outside the Dean Doris home in Westerning. Now, the curtains are pulled. Obviously, the Dean's not going to be there. We know that much. But her family could be there. So we may get some reaction from the family before nine. We're also going to be hearing from Sean Jackson. He lives opposite Nadine Doris. And he's actually got some words of encouragement... And he has got a dilemma. As I say, you'll hear oh. more about that before nine this morning. Intriguing. Justin Dealey, thank you very much indeed. A dilemma. Well, from nine o'clock, uh, JVS will be discussing this on his phone today. He's asking, has Nadine Doris really done anything wrong? And he is, according to his, uh, his Twitter feed, I believe is the term, he is trying to get through to her Australian office, a.k.a. her hotel room. We'll see about that. Good luck to that. 08459 455555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, uh, or you can give us an email. In sport, England... Oh, there is one. Yes, there is a name. I I was struggling. Scanning ahead, there's a name I'm not going to have to say. England named their team to face South Africa in Saturday's Rugby Union Autumn International later this morning. Loosehead prop Alex Corbius-Cicerio... Is in line for a... What the, what the hell is a loose head prop? <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like something... You, anyway, I won't even go there. Uh, he's in line for a recall and says he's ready if needed. You bring out the worst in me, but also the romantic side. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Windy with a bright or sunny uh, intervals and a top temperature of 12 degrees. Coming up before 8.30, should prisoners get the right to vote? The government will set out its plans to give MPs a say on whether it should happen. BBC Three Counties Radio. I was very nearly... I've just talked to Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I'll continue this conversation on air, which is very unprofessional. We're talking about having bits of your body removed and l- lumps and things like that. And I was saying... <laughs> as you do. As you do. And, and the, you can find all this on YouTube if you so want. But I was saying that my wife had some moles removed. And I asked the nurse if I could go in and see it. And they were like, why would you want to? But yeah, OK. And I'm really glad I did. I very nearly got to go and see, um, like, a proper operation being done. Ooh, why would you want to do that? Oh, come on. Are you not fascinated no. by what goes on inside the human body? No. Well, you're fascinated, yes, but I don't want to see it. Oh, I'd love to see it. Really? I would love to see it, yeah. Oh, aren't you funny? Yeah. That makes me feel a bit sick. 
Did you get through to Nadine Doris's Australian office, no. aka her hotel room? No, she's been saying on TV this morning, um, oh yes, well, I, of course, I've got, the minute I got out of the jungle, yeah. I set up an office here at the hotel, yeah. and uh, I'm running my constituency from the hotel. Yes. Well, I've been trying to get through to her constituency office, because yeah. obviously if she's basing it over there in Australia, then, so I phoned the hotel, yeah. and I got through to a very nice Australian girl. Some of them are. And um, I said, can I be put through to Nadine Dory's office, please? And she said, who? Ooh. I said, um, Nadine Dorries, I understand she's got a, a, a constituency office in your hotel in Australia. She's an MP back in the UK. Yes. And she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know of anyone by that name. Ooh. I said, well, she's been on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Have you got the I'm a Celebrity lot staying there? And she said, um, yes, yeah, we've, yeah, we've got um, an organiser. Let me try and get through to an organiser and I'll get her to phone you back. So she phoned me back, this organiser. Yeah. She said, I, d d we do not have anyone by that name staying at this hotel. The Vers Versace Hotel. Yes. Did you, can I just ask a question? Did you say you were Jonathan Vernon Smith? Yes. There's your answer then. She doesn't want to talk to you. Is that what it is? Yeah, do, do you not remember what you did last week to that poor, poor man that you ground into, into a little pulp? But surely the members of the hotel, they wouldn't know about that, would they? <laughs> Who knows? It, it's on the internet now. True. It's probably gone global. Well, I'll tell you what, between now and nine when I start, if yep. any of her constituents would like to phone the, uh, I believe it's the Palazzo Versace Hotel in Australia, if you'd like to phone as a constituent and demand to be put through oh to her dear. office, just let me know if you have any luck. We'll talk about it after nine. I am so staying out of this. I just want to make it, make it clear that I'm, I am not encouraging people to phone up hotels in Australia. Well, if you... Uh, no. if you Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. That's, that was your call. It's all down to me. So what is on your show this morning, JVS? On the big phone in this morning, Ian mm. Lee, has Nadine Dorries really done anything wrong? So the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire says that she's gone straight back to work after being voted off. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Nadine Dorries told ITV1's Daybreak programme this morning that she set up this office in the Australian hotel that she's currently staying in to carry on her constituency work and that only one person has booked in for next month's surgery. She also told Lorraine Kelly that she'd asked the former Chief Whip, Andrew Mitchell, for permission and had warned him that she was going to be doing something rather controversial. So she hadn't mentioned the show to him, that's what's... No, right. because she says she couldn't. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Contractually, she couldn't, but she had asked Andrew Mitchell if she could have this time off work and apparently he said yes. You are allowed to tell your boss. So, if she asked for permission and was told, yeah, you can have the time off... Yep. If she has, and she says she's had her constituency office working tirelessly while she's been in the jungle, if the minute she got out, no. she has set up this office in her hotel room and is now working on behalf of her constituents in this hotel in Australia, has she really done anything wrong? Has, has everything been forgiven? From nine this morning, 08459 455 555, I'd like to hear your view. And if you are a constituent, and if you can try and get hold of her no, in her office... Don't. Does she answer the phone? Don't encourage it on my show. Why? I don't know if you've seen the front page of the Daily Mail the last sort of few months. The BBC are under attack. Really? Yeah, I don't want to be part of that. Oh. I've only just started. I have two children to feed. I, I want both of them to eat this Christmas. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Ta-ta. Quickly, please. Got important stuff to do. What a cackle. <laughs> what a terrifying cackle. Call 08459 455 555. 08459-455-555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now we've been talking about this all morning. For the first time, the government is expected to formally open the door to the possibility that some convicted prisoners should be allowed to vote.
Only last year, MPs voted to keep the blanket ban on prisoner voting, but the issue is back in the spotlight with the European Court of Human Rights urging Britain to lift the ban. Phil is a former prisoner who lives near Dunstable. Morning, Phil. Good morning. Should prisoners be allowed to vote? No, they shouldn't. Why not? Because going to prison is supposed to be a punishment, and you've obviously done something against society to end up in prison, so why should you expect society to treat you as a law-abiding member of the public when you're in prison? Some people might uh, say that prison is not meant to be a punishment, it's meant to be a rehabilitation, and that by allowing prisoners to vote, that is, in a way, part of the rehabilitation. Well, yeah, prison is supposed to be rehabilitation as well, but if you was in a prison, you would clearly see that perhaps 50% of the people in that prison don't want to be rehabilitated anyway, and you're never going to change them people, so why should they be allowed to vote? Phil, if you'd been allowed to vote while you're in prison, would you have bothered? No, I wouldn't, because I wouldn't have thought that, in myself, I wouldn't have thought that I was entitled to do it, so I wouldn't have. Am I allowed to ask, Phil, what you were in prison for? Oh, it it was just for some stuff, um, what I got up to in the 90s, but I'd rather not really go into it. that's that's absolutely fair enough, that's absolutely fair enough, I just thought I'd ask. Uh, Yeah. Did you, and you don't think that prisoners actually want to have the vote? No, they shouldn't. And another thing is, though, what would also happen is, right, prisoners get moved around a lot around the country, right? Yeah. So, what would happen, say it was election day, like, right, and then prisoners had a vote, and then a lot of them prisoners got moved to another district, and then there was a by-election in that district a few weeks later, will they be entitled to vote again in that election as well? Phil, listen, I appreciate your time, thank you very much. Phil uh, from uh, near Dunstable, he's been in prison. He doesn't think prisoners should have the vote. 08459 455 555. What do you think? We heard earlier on from uh, a guy who'd been in prison for manslaughter who was adamant that it's a human right that prisoners should have the vote. What do you think? Uh, Paul's in Bletchley. Morning, Paul. Morning. What's your take on this? Well, no, they shouldn't have the vote. Why? Why? When you go to prison, you, you lose your basic rights. You must, though. Well, according to Europe, you don't. It's a human right that you sh- everyone should be able to vote, in- including prisoners. You must be able to forfeit those rights, though. You can't have everything. I mean, you could get a situation where you could get a prison full of men, um, with 2,000 or so. If it was a local election, couldn't they influence the, the election? Uh, well, they move from prison to prison. Well, if they all voted, but you heard from Phil there, and I, I would imagine that most prisoners, really, I mean, some might go just because it breaks the day up and does something a bit different, but are they really that bothered? No, no, they're not. To be honest, it's one man's, it's, it's just one man is doing a long time, wants something to do. That's all it's down to. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I've got some texts here. You can text any time, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Esther says, prisoners should not have the right to vote because they are in prison. They are in prison because they have committed a crime and violated a victim. Prison means privileges are taken away. Voting is a privilege they can take part in when they are released. Well, according to Europe, uh, it's not a privilege. It's a human right. 
Um, Richard says, votes are prisoners. They should not be given a vote. We should not take orders from a corruptly run organisation in Brussels. And Steve in St Albans um, on the email. I think prisoners should get the vote, but only if they have a proven record of partaking in the electoral process, i.e. they voted before. It can't be a denial of a human right if that has never been exercised. That's kind of an interesting take on it. 08459 455 555. Earlier on, we had a very passionate speaker who thought it was disgusting that prisoners didn't have the right to vote. Uh, And there are lots of uh, um, claims being made by prisoners against the governors... Uh, against, against the government, sorry, that could result in millions of pounds in payouts. They're, they claim they are having their human rights denied them by not being allowed to vote. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. Also, the last half an hour of the show, do you th- will you be welcoming Nadine Doris back to her mid-beds constituency? Booted out of the jungle last night... Which is a shame, because I know that a lot of you were enjoying um, watching her eat bums and things like that. Uh, Booted out. Will you be welcoming her back? Will you be excited that she's coming back? Do you think she's done a good thing for mid-beds? Or are you a little bit embarrassed about the whole thing and think it's a little bit awkward and she's done you no favours whatsoever? 08459 455 555. Should we have a quick look at the front page of the newspapers? We've got a couple of minutes before we go to the travel. Let's have a look. The Daily Telegraph. The Telegraph. Amnesty for 120,000 migrants. Border agency made little effort to trace missing asylum seekers while assuring MPs that extensive checks are being carried out, report says. Uh, and the, lots of the front pages are about floods. And there's a cracking picture. Uh, a man looks disconsolately from a bedroom window as a rising flood water laps around his cottage. He doesn't look happy, that fella. He wouldn't. If you're looking out the window and you saw that, the Times. Anglicans told to seek help from mediators. Anger mounts over rejection of women bishops. I thought that we were, that that women bishops were going to get through. I thought it was almost a a done deal. But no, it turns out it wasn't. The Guardian. Um, We'll we'll take that caller after the news, if that's all right. We're going to get to the news in a second, so we'll speak to uh, Umang in Letchworth in a couple of minutes. Gaza ceasefire ends a week of bloodshed. Israel and Hamas both declare victory after bowing to international pressure. A couple more of these. The independent schools face cuts to pay for £1 billion academies. Overspend the express diet that will add years to your life. Yeah. The Daily Mail. Secret courts planning chaos and the sun. There's something about football. A man has lost his job or something like that. Uh, very quick text on uh, Nadine Doris. Viewers are unbelievably stupid to kick Nadine out first show so she can now spend the week or so luxuriating at the Versace Hotel. Should have kept her in the jungle till nearly the end. That's from Sharon. Oh, after 8.30, Justin has spoken to Nadine's daughter. How exciting. Yes, that's right. You heard it. You heard it. Justin Daly, how reporter, has somehow managed to snag one of Nadine Doris's daughters and uh, we'll be having a chat with her a little bit later on. Very exciting. Make sure you stay listening to that. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Just under 30 minutes of the show until 9 o'clock when JVS takes over. Lots coming up, including find out why parents in part of Hertfordshire have been campaigning for five years to get yellow lines outside their school. And mid-Bedfordshire MP Nadine Doris is out of the jungle. Reporter Justin Dealey has tracked one of her daughters down. Uh, I mentioned Umang in Letchworth. Umang, you're, you're on. We managed to squeeze you in. Do you think... Uh, what do you think about Nadine coming out of the jungle? 
Uh, well, uh, I haven't seen the show yet, but uh, uh, it's it's really bad news that she came out of the jungle. But I think she hasn't done anything wrong by appearing in that show. You think it? Well, why? Okay, two things there. Why do you think it's bad news that she's out? Well, obviously, because as being uh, uh, living in UK, I do support UK contestant in that show. If she has gone further down in that, it's a bright thing for us. I uh, think. I think. Let me just. Um, yeah, I think that they're all UK contestants. Well, I haven't seen the show. I, right. I don't know much about the show, so okay. that's what I'm saying. Okay, so. you haven't seen the show, but you, you yeah. think it's disappointing that she's out of the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and you don't think... We're kind of s- steering into JVS's territory, but I'm, I'll show him how it's done. You think that she's done nothing wrong by being on I'm a Celebrity? Yeah, I don't think so. She has done anything wrong. She bunked off work for a month. Well, JVS well, J- uh, was saying a while ago that uh, she booked her time off for that show. Right, but she's yeah. still getting paid for it. Yeah, so if she has booked her time off, then it's up to her what she wants to do in that time off. She can do whatever she wants. I know, though, Umang, that if I took a month off work, I would come back (laughs) and I would turn up and BBC Three Counties Radio would have moved building without telling me where they'd gone. (laughs) Yeah, but still, uh, I I don't think so that uh, this is, like, a kind of big thing to make up because... uh, Do you not think, Umang, do you not think, though, that really, members of of the British Parliament... Yeah. Should they be on television eating ostriches' anuses? Well, uh, a member of British Parliament are normal human beings as well, I think. So, and as being a normal human being, you are allowed to do whatever you want in would, your would you Would you eat an ostrich's anus? Well, no, I'm vegetarian, so I won't eat any of them. Um, Umang, me as well. I will, I, completely. Thank you for that, Umang. Electra doesn't think that she's done anything wrong by being on I'm a Celebrity. Uh, that's one less caller for JVS. Sorry, Jonathan. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number. Tomorrow, the Ian Lee Show is coming from Flamstead. And you can join us. You can come and say hello from six o'clock. I bet a lot of you won't come till about half past seven. That's fine as well. We're there from six till nine. But, you, you know, come and say hello. Don't touch me. We are celebrating... Com- <laughs> That's what one rule I've got. Don't touch me. We're celebrating community enterprises. And we're going to be at the Spotted Dog Pub. It tur- This is very exciting. It turns into a cafe every morning in order to raise money to repair the local church roof. Former judge turned fundraiser, organiser uh, Jeff Burke, set it up with the help of some volunteers. Well, our reporter Serena Farrow stopped by for a cup of tea at the coffee dog to find out exactly what goes on and there are three dimensions to it really it's getting people through the door getting people from the village to contribute cakes and biscuits and getting enough people to serve as baristas and the first two we've done excellently people coming through the door have been terrific the turnover has gone up the cakes and biscuits that have been provided free by people from the village have been wonderful the real problem is having enough people to staff it seven days a week from eight o'clock till 12. So what's your message to people out there if you've just got an hour or so? A couple of hours we've divided it up into sort of half past seven to ten and then ten till twelve and if you could only do it once a fortnight or once a month never mind come along and help. I'm Christine and I visit the village regularly I don't live here I keep a horse in the village and I associate with some of the strange villagers. Emma Findlay, and I live here. Now, what have you been doing this morning? Just just tell me. I mean, it's what? It's only about half eleven now. I've ridden my horse, mucked it out. I probably come almost daily, actually. So, yeah, I've the same. I've got a horse, so I rode out this morning around the village, which is lovely, before everyone goes off to work, and then generally come up here and have a coffee and then uh, go off home and do some proper work. And it's brilliant that a pub by day is a coffee shop 
garden by night turned into, well, frivolities for your alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. Pub is the, the heart of the village, really, and Peter's a fantastic landlord and he supports the church and the local village and everything that goes on. Really, really good hub for the village and people before they go to work. All sorts of people come in, pretty much everybody you'll see will pop in at some point throughout the day, and whether it's to the pub or to the coffee dog. Yeah, it's just a really active village. Well, there's probably a few of us around in the morning, sort of six or seven or eight of people come in. Everybody in this village really tends to use the local facilities. It's really nice. Tony Roberts. And Tony, how long have you been coming here then? Oh, for the last 35 years. But never to a coffee shop as such. You've always come no. here for a pint. Yeah, that's right. Coffee Dog's been a tremendous success and a super meeting place in the mornings. And what do you like about it? Is it because it's kind of informal? It's informal. There's always a good atmosphere. It's friendly. There's a community spirit about it, as per there is about this village. And you like fraternising with the ladies as well? No. Well, we... Try to stop it. No, it's just you seem a bit outnumbered, that's what I'm thinking. No, the common factor is horses. Coffee, cakes and ladies! I'm there. We will be there tomorrow, six o'clock, six till nine. Come along, say hello, and definitely... That that noise you heard of the uh, milk being frothed um, in the background, that, that, you're going to be hearing that a lot on tomorrow's show, I'm afraid. I'm a sucker for coffee. That was uh, our reporter, Serena Farrow. She was in the Coffee Dog at the Spotted Dog in Flampstead, and we are going to be there tomorrow. Do come along. Say hello. Bring some money, because we're, uh, I'm not buying you a cake. Cakes and coffee. Genuinely a little bit too excited about that. Looking forward to that a lot. Now, we've been talking about should prisoners get the vote? MPs are going to have a say on it. Jeff is in Luton. Morning, Jeff. Good morning. Did I just hear... What, what was that noise I just heard at the end there? Guitar. Are, are you playing a guitar? I was. While you were waiting for me? Mm, yeah. What, what were you playing on it? The string. Look, there's a string. Listen to this one. You got that one? I got that one. Got any, that one? any others? Yeah. That one? Yeah. Got that one? Uh-huh. Well, let's, we'll talk about why you called in a second. Could you play us a song? Yeah, I could, but I'm not going to. Oh, OK, Jeff. Ooh, OK. Is that because you can't play? Uh, no comment. OK, interesting. <laughs> Jeff, yeah. should, should, should prisoners get the vote? Depends what, depends what they're in prison. OK. Which ones should and which ones shouldn't? Murderers shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Let's go through it. Let me get a pen and paper. Hang on a second. We're going to write this down. We're going to work out, Jeff, which ones should and which ones shouldn't get the vote. Okay? Right. Mm. Got a pen and paper. So, I need a pen and paper as well. No, you don't need a pen and paper. I'm going to jot all this down. I'm saying I've got a pen and paper. I haven't, so I'm just going to pretend I've got a pen and paper. I've got, I've got some paper, no pen. Right. Yeah. So, let's, let's go. Let you say they should get the vote or no vote. Right. Murderers, Ca- no. Murderers, no. Mm. Car thieves. No. Um, rapists. No. Shoplifters? Uh, yes. Pickpockets? Yes. Tax avoiders? Mm, yes. Vandals? No. Drug dealers? No. Arsonists? No. Terrorists? No. Um, drunk drivers? Drunk drivers? Mm, yeah. You think they should? Uh, drunk depends what they do. If they kill someone when they're drunk, yep. as I know of a person who's done that, no. No, okay. Uh, uh, fraud? Fraud, yeah. You think fraud should get the vote? Mm. Um, forgery? Forgery, mm, no. Impersonating a nun? A what? 
Imp- impersonating a nun. I think you can go to prison for that. Or maybe I dreamt it. No, impersonating a nun. No, I'll give them the vote. You'll give them the vote. I'll put okay. them on the stage as well. OK, well, Jeff, I think that's we, we pretty much got it all covered then. I'll send it off to um, David Cameron today. And we'll... <laughs> <laughs> ask, yeah, ask David Cameron when he's going to change his cabinet. Tell him he needs a steel cabinet rather than a wooden one because steel's stronger. He needs a strong cabinet. Yes, he does. Jeff, go on. Just give us a little song. Go on. Uh, Charter, evening, you may find your lover. That's all you get. Jeff and Luton, thank God that's all we're getting. Thank you very much. What a, what a, a good sport and a bonkers caller. Wonderful, Jeff. Thank you very much. That's the thing, isn't it? Oh, that's, I'm just, <laughs> so, oh dear me. That's the thing, isn't it? Once you start saying that some prisoners should and some shouldn't, then you do have to do it. My tongue was slightly in my cheek there, but... You would have to have that conversation. You would have to have some, the, the team of people sitting there going through the list of crimes and saying, right, well, this, this crime, yes, they can get the vote, and this crime, no, they can't get the vote. You would have to do that. So while it sounded like I was being slightly flippant, there was a serious side to it. What do you think, dear listener? 08459 455 555. Do you think prisoners should get the vote we've had a mixed bag today I, I i if i'm honest i don't quite know what my opinion is on this it's one of those things where i sort of scratch my head a little bit and it's been more mixed we've had a, a more mixed reaction from you than i was expecting i thought you'd all be dead against it but some of you seem to think that it's okay Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can text as well eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. Colin says, if someone is in prison for a crime involving the infringement of someone else's human rights, they should forfeit their own human rights. And Pat says, Ian, give prisoners the vote. Why not? We give them everything else. We, the law-abiding, are denied the vote on whether we should hang murderers. Then they would not need a vote if we were successful. Come to think about it, we are refused a vote on many issues, so what's the point to our crooked democracy? Can, I tell you something, right, and this is true, I've, all, uh, and I don't, I've always wanted to spend a night in prison. Have, have you not? To, just to see what it's like. Like a night and a day, uh, but no, I'm going to get let out. I don't want to commit a crime and be there for years. I hate it. Uh, obviously, I hate it. Because you get all these people saying, oh, it will be, oh, it's, it's like a holiday camp in there. I bet it's not. I bet it's not like a holiday camp. I'd love to spend, like, 24 hours in a prison. Joe's in Letchworth to talk about I'm a Celebrity. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right this morning. I'm, I'm fine and dandy. Nadine Doris, I'm a Celebrity. Was it right she got booted out? I wanted to see more of her, to be honest. I wanted to see where she was going to go with it all, but it's... I was very surprised she, she came out so quickly. Because she was... It, it looked like, beginning of voted in to do the first couple of tasks, that she was going to be the, the whipping girl for the show, but then they, they handed that, that uh, title to the girl from Coronation Street, didn't they? Oh, yes, Helen. Helen Flanagan. Is that... She's, she's got a name, has she? I didn't realise. <laughs> Nor did I, because uh, she, she annoyed me at the beginning, but when she started doing, doing the tasks and passing, she actually started to get on quite well, but I'm really surprised that, that Nadine has, has come out so early. I was, I was hoping to see more politics from her and, and what she was going to say. <laughs> oh, come on, Joe. We were never going to see politics from her. Do you think she'll be welcome back to mid-beds? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, my, my, my wife's um, parents, you know, they live in, live in Shefford, so 
we were sort of backwards and forwards there sort of most of the weekend so it's um I mean, it's a clicky town at the best of times, so it's going to be going to be interesting to see what they make of it. Well, it's a, we will be following this uh, with anticipation. A school in Hertfordshire says it's still campaigning to have some double yellow lines outside it five years on. It's got to the point now that parents of children at Fleetville Infant School in St Albans have started a petition. Neither Hertfordshire County Council nor the local district council have been able to come up with a solution. Sonia Markey is both a resident on the street, Royal Road, as well as a parent of children at the school. I live right next door, um, so it's going to be an issue for me because the yellow lines are going to go right up outside my house. As you can see, the road is pretty full during school time. Um, so if I have shopping or my other children in the car, there's going to be nowhere for me to park. So I'm going to have to go to Morrison's. So as a resident, it is an issue, yes. So as a resident, it's an issue. What about as a parent of someone at this school? Um, As a parent, the parking is an issue. Um, For the children crossing here, they can't see either side of the cars. As you can see, there's cars parked on the zigzag Right up to the crossing, yeah. Yes. So you you, uh, sort of on a a double-edged sword for you? I am, yeah, being a resident and a parent of the school. So ideally, what do you want to see happen? Um, Ideally, I'd like to see the crossing moved to the front of the main entrance, not on the side entrance. And this side entrance closed because the entrance isn't the side entrance isn't a great in a great position for the the parents to go in and out of. It should be through the main entrance. Well, Andrula Peak is the head teacher of the school and joins me now. Good morning, Andrula. Good morning. Why is this taking so long? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what the issues have been. I know a due process has to be gone through and consultation has to be carried out, um, but we're not sure um, what's delayed the process. This, you're convinced that this would make things safer for the kids, aren't you? Absolutely. It's a particular problem for us because um, the designated crossing is where it is. And because people park across it, our parents only have the only the other two options they have are to either cross onto the parking bays opposite the school or to cross between parked cars, which isn't very safe for the children. You're meeting with officers from St Albans District Council today. Do you think anything is going to come from that meeting or is it just going to stall things even longer? No, I hope so. We're feeling really positive that with our parents having raised this issue quite publicly and with um, local councillor support and the council, as you say, coming out to see us today, we're hoping that there will be a quick solution now. What have they been saying in the past when you get in contact with them? Do they make promises and break them or are they just fobbing you off? Well, we have been told, I'd hate to think anybody's fobbing us off, but we have been told in the past that the um, lines were going to be painted um, but then it's been passed to engineering departments and then there's been weather um, over the winter. They couldn't be painted. And then there was another consultation that went out. Then we were waiting for the road to be resurfaced first before painting the line. So there have always been what appear to be valid reasons. But when you, you add up the years, five years is an awful long time to wait for something to happen. Andrew, have a listen to this. This is um, a, a local resident speaking who says a compromise needs to be reached. So a solution has to be found which keeps the children safe and which doesn't penalise the residents on parking spaces. Yeah. It seems a simpler solution would be perhaps to move this crossing a bit, identify it more, and uh, not lose any parking spaces. Yes, if you can move it further up. I mean, the, the yellow lines at the moment are in completely the wrong place, as far as I can tell. So if you could move the crossing further The zigzag down, line. Yes, yeah. yes. So, I mean, if you were to release up some space further down the road where you don't need the zigzags and have them in the, you know, the place where it's needed, then all well and good. Andrew, the residents saying that you need to think about the residents as well. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we don't, as a school, we don't control where the crossings go and where the zigzags go. I absolutely accept that it, it should be moved nearer the 
entrance of the school, but opposite that are parking bays, so you can't have a crossing going on to parking bays by the community centre. Well, Andrea, good luck today. Um, we'll, we'll, Thank you. We'll, no doubt we'll speak to you later on and find out what happens. That's uh, the head of the school in question there, uh, Andrew Lepic. Um, who may at some point today get an answer that uh, they will get the zebra, uh, the, sorry, the uh, double yellow lines they've been after for the last five years. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Mid-beds MP Nadine Doris is out of the jungle and she's in a six-star luxury hotel. She left I'm a Celebrity last night and she told ITV One's Daybreak... Sorry. This morning that she's already set up an office in her hotel room in Australia and that she's back at work. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been in Westerning this morning. Justin, how's it been going? Oh, you couldn't make this up, could you? That lovely six-star hotel. It sounds glorious. uh, Isn't it awful? The hell these people have to go through. I didn't even know a six-star hotel existed, but there you go. I've been talking to Jen Doris. You you didn't know a three-star hotel existed, (laughs) Justin, for goodness sakes. Two-star hotel. I've been talking to Jen Doris, Nadine's daughter. Now, she says that she is very proud of her mum. She's been looking after Nadine Dorries at Twitter account whilst her mum is in Australia. So we managed to track down Jen this morning and he asked her whether people have been posting vile messages. It's been, there's been a hell of a lot of support, an awful lot of support from people and people have been very kind. But obviously you can't please everybody and mm. so you know people do say horrible things and also people print horrible things in the newspaper and that and a lot of that is untrue but that is just that comes to the territory i'm afraid when you're a politician you're related to politician unfortunately that's just what that's just what happens but if people abuse my mum i'll be absolutely distraught yeah. about that as as nadine's daughter how does that make you feel yeah, it's not nice, obviously. You know, we're all, we're all humans, you know. She's my mum, and that's what people forget, is she is a mother, and she does have children, and she is a family person. And yet, um, some of the things... Uh, if it's constructive, it's fair enough, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and mum would say exactly the same thing. But some of it is just downright slanderous or rude and nasty, and it's just it's out there to hurt people. So, yeah, it does hurt. But I think after a while, like with most things in life, you would build up a shield to it if when you, you get used to it. She was the first person to be voted out. Is that slightly embarrassing, or did you expect that? No, it's not embarrassing at all. No, she she expected it. If you look at her VTs before she went in, she said, you know, she expects to be voted off first. She is the politician of the camp. There's a, you know, a lot of big names in there, and and, and Mum doesn't think she's any kind of big celebrity. You know, she's in the public. It's called I'm a celebrity. Well, yeah, get me out. That's of it. a catchy title. If it was called I'm in the public eye, get me out of yeah. here. It'd be a lot more appropriate because that's how she sees herself. They approached her and asked her to go in, and she thought, what an opportunity to, to reach out to the, to the masses here. That's great. You know, it, she doesn't have any delusions of, of her being a celebrity here. She's just, you know, so she's expecting it absolutely. Yeah. How can your mum carry on? being an MP when there's so much negative publicity towards her? Can you answer that question? It, it, it's, not, it's not really for me to say, is it? You know, it's, that's a question for her. She, she, it's her, it's her, her job, it's her decision, it's her, it's her choice how she moves forward with it, really, so I couldn't be able to say. She's been on daybreak this morning. Have you spoken to your mum since she got voted off last night? Again, can you answer that question? You're looking at me funny. <laughs> um, I Skyped her last night. So, spoken to her briefly, but obviously the times in Australia are completely backwards, so mm. it's, um, it's, it's difficult to find a time when we can both talk, and she's obviously very busy at the moment. So. And how excited are you about seeing your mum again? I'm so excited, I can't wait, yeah. Really proud of her and can't wait to see her. None of us can, so yeah. So it'll be good job when she's back. We can all um, have a good catch-up. Yes or no, long-term, do you think she will regret going on to that TV show? Who, who can predict the future? I wouldn't think so. But who can predict the future? Do you think people here will still back her? It's just negative publicity for a couple of weeks and that's it. That's it. You said three questions. 
<laughs> Slightly more, I know. I'm being cheeky. Yeah, well, as I said, these questions aren't for me to answer. I can't, I can't answer those ones. That's that's for her to decide when she gets back. And and also, how can I predict what the people are going to vote? You know, we've had an awful, like I said before, we've had an awful lot of support from people, and obviously there's been two sides to that coin. So it, you know, it just depends. Okay, I respect you for answering those questions because uh, when I saw you this morning, you said I can't talk. You got to speak to this person. I respect you for answering those questions. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So there you go, Ian. Uh, the words of oh. Jen Dorries, Nadine Dorries' daughter. It got uh, a little bit uncomfortable there, Justin. It did. did you, th- th- three questions. Yeah. <laughs> you, you little cheeky, I, I, cheeky I can't scam. Count. I mean, to be fair, she gave us that interview. As far as I know, she wouldn't answer this question. Um, I said, uh, are we the only radio station or, or TV station that you're talking to this morning? She wouldn't answer that question. But, you know, fair play. <laughs> fair you're, play. You're a charmer. No, listen, you She's did a cracking on. job. You did an absolutely cracking job. And, and uh, well done for getting that. Uh, one, one last point from Sean Jackson. This, this was the dilemma from earlier on. Sean yeah. lives opposite. Nadine. Oh yes, of course. Go on. And uh, he was saying that he would like Nadine Doris to open the local Christmas bazaar. He was going to ask her. Next thing you know, she's on TV. <laughs> she's in the jungle, <laughs> and now he's thinking, "Well, do I ask?" Because she's actually become a celebrity and not my local MP. Bef- now that is a big talking point, isn't it? Before it was in free. Now it's going to be like twenty thousand pounds. What's, <laughs> it, what's this chap's name, Justin? It's uh, Sean Jackson. Sean, you don't listen. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You don't even need to ask Nadine. You've got Justin Dealey there. <laughs> ask JD. He'll do it. He, you uh, heard I'll- what a Charmer he is. I'll do the business for you, Sean. Leave it to me. Justin, good work as always, mate. Thanks very much. Thank you. Ta-ta, there we go. He's a charmer, isn't he? He's good at his job. Exclusive interview. There we go. Fantastic stuff indeed. Well, uh, I, I think we got through that. Don't forget that Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be carrying uh, the uh, the torch. I've started a sentence. I've got no way of ending it, so I'm just going to bail out now. <laughs> you know, sometimes you start a sentence and it, it, well, it, it was going nowhere. Anyway, he'll be asking, has Nadine Doris really done anything wrong? And thank you, as always, everyone uh, who uh, contributed, who phoned in and took part. And thank you to Justin yesterday for filling in for me while I was bunking off. I'm bunking off one day next week as well. But d- don't worry. I, d- from then on, I'm, I'm with you pretty much down the line. Tomorrow, don't forget, very exciting. Oh, I'm doing it already. Very exciting. With me and Flampstead. If you want to come down and see how the show works. <laughs> yeah, you can do. Just don't touch me. I know it's the only rule I've got about it. I love, I love meeting you. I love saying hello to you. Even if you don't like the show, it'd be nice to say hello. Just honestly, please don't. Don't touch me. Uh, it's going to be a fun show tomorrow. Go to the Facebook page to find out the details. We'll be on at six. Jonathan's up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Just remember that, ladies and gentlemen. Don't touch him. Thank you, Ian.